Sure. I'll talk it out. Yeah. Let's just have a conversation. Track three. <clears throat> Better not be fucking Dave Matthews band. Okay. Those of you who don't want to be a part of this can leave now. Derek, please listen to me. But if you choose to stay, which it seems like you guys are choosing. Derek, please. You understand and agree to the following terms and conditions. Derek! One. Derek, this is the virus. You talking. hereby waive your right Derek, please. to your own personal bodily integrity. This is not you. Two. Per the state versus Neville Reed. My colleague and I will not be held criminally liable for any felony or misdemeanor that you may be a victim of, including, but not limited to, aggravated assault, aggravated battery, disorderly conduct, destruction of property, mayhem, and first-degree murder. And three, terms and conditions may change or be updated whenever the fuck I want! Consider yourselves notified. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. I got news for you, pal. You ain't leading but two things right now. Jack and shit. Jack left town. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. Describe the ruckus, sir. Does this mean we're not friends anymore? DJ Anubis here with you on the Mel Time Radio Podcast, The Hordes of Chaos, episode 187. Slaughter Day, kicking it off with the cover of Predator from Carnivore. And uh, unfortunately, I was not able to make the uh, Tennessee Metal Devastation uh, Festival this weekend. Uh, for those that don't know, uh, Ran into some problems with my kitty cat, and unfortunately with Neko out at sea working, um, there were some health concerns with her, which uh, unfortunately I hate to report. As of Saturday, I had to put her down. She just uh, was drifting and uh, declining fast uh, due to kidney issues, which 
can be uh, common in cats, uh, whether they're diabetic or, you know, just in general, like that's an issue they often run into. But, you know, the, the good takeaway, I suppose, is that she was 21 years of age or somewhere in that range. And, uh, you know, she lived a pretty good life when we got her. Uh, she was having problems with her owner, uh, getting along with her animals, which is something that was consistent with Miss Kitty. I mean, she was able to kind of hang in there with the other three cats we had for a little while. They never really all liked each other all that much, but you would just find times where, like, you know, when Neko and I talk, we say how the birds would show up outside and all of them would be up at the window. Like, they didn't, they could sit right next to each other and, like, chirp at birds all day, but, like, once that was done, like, they just didn't want to be next to each other. It was like, oh, fuck you, man, get away from me. Uh, and Miss Kitty was no different. She was basically just one of those cats that had to be alone. And after all the other cats had passed on, uh, she kind of enjoyed being the focus of attention and the one that had the run of the house. But she still spayed, stayed down here in the basement, the, the tavern with me all the time. Uh, we tried to make everything as comfortable for her at the time. So despite her joint issues and, you know, weight, I mean, she had dropped some weight. We'd actually gotten her down to about know 16 or 15 pounds but uh within the last six months she had dropped like another four or five pounds so we knew something was kind of wrong that she sort of stopped eating a little bit uh initially i thought there was problems with her teeth because she didn't really want me messing around with her mouth or looking at smelling it but yeah so it just once i took her in they were telling me what was going on it was like either spend three thousand dollars for 48 hours without a guarantee that she'll survive i was like you know what it's just you know i'm not going to put her through all that because uh, it'd be stressful just to be in because there, whatever reason leaving miss kitty with our hospital like our vet is not really ideal or never was because she they just she doesn't react very well to that i mean that's the only unfortunate thing i wish is that I could have put her down here at home like I probably could have considered that uh, Sometimes it's just more comfortable. It looks like we've done it with a couple other cats in the past which works out very well Because uh, they were trying to put those catheters on Miss Kitty to you know give her the injections and that apparently was a fight so uh, She didn't put up with a lot of shit Miss Kitty, you know, it doesn't matter how bad or hurt she was feeling uh, she just she'll fight you on some shit um but i was there with her in the end and uh i know i, I called neko via you know camera phone uh to let her say hello to miss kitty and say goodbye i mean i don't think she ever said goodbye because we really didn't decide till like the last minute that this was what was going to happen it was very upsetting though because neko knew that that was really the best option at that point so uh yeah so she's gone so now we're down to just the two rabbits and my four tarantulas but those guys uh, are very low maintenance in terms of care so that's good for that but rabbits you know they're not too bad they they just say stay in one little room and have the run of it so but it'd probably be a little while before getting more cats for sure um but Krypton Scully from Metal Mania did go to the, the the festival this weekend. They got some pictures. They actually took our banner with them. Uh, much appreciated the Crypt for that. Uh, and hung it up there, and it looked great. Like Apparently, uh, Metal Mania and Metal Tavern were the only ones that bring banners for the stage. So 
I'm happy that we were able to get up there and you know at least get some attention that way if possible. Uh, music was good. Grave Huffer was there. I felt bad missing after just doing my interview with Richie, which today, uh, if you did not catch the video of that, I do have the audio uh, from that interview, which I will play today for you all. Um, do have a lot of new music coming your way. Uh, also, uh, I'm going to just state this now because we're in October. I just went through a lot of the music that I usually get that isn't related to the promotional and label stuff. That's just stuff that I usually get that's a lot. <laughs> so I just went through that, and I think I'm going to concentrate on all that the rest of the year. So what will probably happen is I'll probably end up doing uh, sort of like what I do with Metal uh, Devastation Radio and have spotlight segment shows if I can get them in. Uh, dealing with the labels and promotional sites alone. So I, I just do separate things for those. Uh, but as far as like Hordes of Chaos, I'm just going to concentrate on the stuff that's coming in, classic material, etc. And stuff that I'm backlogged on. I have stuff that I set aside uh, rock-wise that I want to get in. And it just it's easier if I don't have to worry about uh, the labels and promotional sites. For now. I do have label and promotional sites in this episode, but this will be the last one that features that for this year uh once i get into 2023 we'll try to work them in again like we've been doing but as the year goes along man i just get backed up with everything because they send me a lot of stuff and then i have a lot of stuff that comes through other sources and uh that's i just got to find a way to to make it all work and it seems like while that goes out i can do these special segment shows that you know because i have the extra free time to do that and uh that's how that'll work. Uh, today, new stuff from Fido and Fetus, uh, Denial of Death, Apoch of Unlight, uh, Images of Eden, Mentalist, Speed Cobra, Mantic Ritual, Algebra, Classic Material from Cannibal Corpse, The Dramlek, uh, let's see, we got some Infection Code, Exiled, uh, Classic Stuff from Creator. In the Rock Block, got some Eden Bridge, uh, Backfire, Nord, uh, a lot of this is provided by some of these labels and promotional sites I'm talking about. Uh, but let's get it all kicked off. Brand new stuff from Cosmic Tomb. This is Zenith Apophysis.
You know, there's something about when you go to a concert of death metal, somebody might get killed!
What's up, everyone? This is Richie from Grave Huffer, and you're listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Tavern Radio. Rank it the fuck up. Gonna get ready to jump into our interview with Richie, who you just heard in the liner there for Grave Huffer. Very cool dude, great artist, uh, great band. Uh, they have a new record coming out in early 2023, I believe. Uh, after you'll probably hear within uh, the interview itself, we talk about the album. I go through with Richie, just discussing random metal things, the festival as well, as well as break down the tracks from the new record. They did send me a basically a promo of the new stuff and uh you'll get to hear what i thought of it and you know just a, a general breakdown it was a great interview uh i really appreciate richie uh taking the time out to do that with me but uh later on i'm gonna talk a little bit about the cyberpunk anime series on netflix as well as rolling stone has like their top i think they have their top 100 tv shows ever uh, I'm going to do my top 50, and then uh, we'll compare a little bit with that, just because uh, I didn't agree with everything on our list, and of course, there were things that were left off that I thought that should be on the list anyway, Which, I, but I figured my top 50 covers everything that I love about TV shows and what I feel is important, not just to my growing up, but quality of, of, of shows. I actually did rank them accordingly, so... Uh, obviously lists can change anytime down the road, but I will give you my top 50 of right now where they stand in my life, and uh, we'll have a lot of fun with that. But for right now, we're going to kick off the uh, interview with Richie from Grave Huffer, and I'll be back. So enjoy, grab a drink, some chips, some snacks, and tune in and check it out. Here we go. What up, everyone? DJ Anubis here on the Middle Time Radio Podcast, and I am joined by the mighty Richie from Grave Huther. How are you doing, sir? Doing good, Anubis. How are you, man? Good, man. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you guys this weekend at the oh, yeah. Devastation uh, Festival. So, yeah. you excited? Hell yeah, man. <laughs> Dude, we're, we're, we're so pumped, man. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. Now, did you guys uh, inquire about playing on the t- on the festival, or did they come approach you about it? They approached us actually, which was kind of surprising. It was like um, I just got a message from a uh, Raven, uh, Zach Moonshine's wife, and uh, she's like, "Hey, we'd like to have some grave huffer on this." Uh... You know what? Now that I think about it, it wasn't even a fest at this time. Okay, like a yeah, or something. It was what had happened was um, they ended up um, like not taking over a show from somebody else, but they were helping somebody else out. Okay. And so the plan was to just have 
four or five bands, and they were going to help this guy, uh, a former DJ, apparently, that was doing a show. And he, I guess he was just having some difficulties, and so the Moonshine stepped in, and they were going to help him out. And they asked us if uh, we wanted to play this show. We're like, yeah, let's do it. And then it's just it turned into the fest after probably a, <laughs> uh, maybe a month after they asked us. I mean, it was kind of it's weird. I never, I kind of forgot about that. Yeah, it, it wasn't it wasn't even the Met Tennessee Metal Devastation Fest when we were first involved. So. So, yeah. some sort of show or something like that yeah yeah it was just just a you know an out-of-state show for us and they're like hey we would you know we, they we've been wanting to you know meet them in person you know like kind of like with you guys and uh because we've known each other for so long and they've been big supporters of ours vice versa and so it was just kind of i guess seemed like a natural thing for them to contact us about playing a show and then it's, it's just rolled on from there into into the this whole um, metal devastation fest thing. So, so yeah. Now, uh, where where are you guys coming out of? We're coming out of Joplin, Missouri, which is in the extreme south. Uh, excuse me, extreme southwest portion of the state. So we're like right by Kansas, Oklahoma, and Arkansas, just like right in the corner. Oh, okay. So that's not super bad. So that's probably gonna be what, like an eight or nine hour drive for you guys? Uh, about six. About six. Okay, hours less than that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was looking at six it. and a half, maybe. I mean, I was literally with my wife like a month ago uh, visiting my parents in Mia, uh-huh. Arkansas, and that was like an eighteen hour drive all the way around. Oh my god. So now I got to wow. look forward to another 13 hour drive just to get back to Lexington. But, uh, yeah, I'm really you... excited. This is like a brand new venture for us. As well. Oh, nice. Yeah. So this is all, all gonna be fun. Sweet. Where are you guys coming from? Baltimore, Maryland. So we're actually oh. a little bit north of where Crypt and Scully are. They're a little bit south of us. Oh, we, we played in Maryland uh, a couple years ago. We played that Maryland, Maryland Doomfest. Oh shit. You gotta be kidding me. Yeah, it was. Well, was that uh, the same one that uh, Goblin played at? No, I think we played. It was like in 2021. Okay, so it was a little bit. It was a different year. Okay. Yeah, it was not this last. It's not this last one with the one before. Oh, okay. Yeah, man, that's cool. I didn't. I was like, damn. If I if I was there when you guys were, there, I was like, fuck. I feel bad for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I was I was there the year that Goblin was like the headliner. Oh man, and all that, so. that. I bet you that was awesome. Well, it, it turned out okay. Um, yeah. The big reason why we were excited, of course, Neko was out of town like she is now, unfortunately. But oh, okay. Uh, Goblin was doing the whole Suspiria soundtrack. That the soundtrack, was yeah, supposed yeah. to, but something went uh, wrong at Ramshead. They couldn't get the the movie to match up with the music, so they ended up just playing a bunch of random songs from their catalog, which is still great. Right. Uh, it just wasn't. It kind of took the buzz off the whole Suspiria thing. Right. Movie favorite horror movie of all time yeah exactly and they 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 came all the way from italy just just to play this or were they touring uh it was pretty much for that festival but they've been they've appeared at like mdf a couple times and they've been okay making their way around but gotcha yeah so i know that like well actually let me first get in this like who is in the band like outside of you like you play guitars right yeah play guitar uh, so I do a little bit of vocals. Uh, Travis McKenzie is our uh, new, well, new-ish singer. He's been in the band like two years now. He was on Necro Eclosion. Um, that was his first album with us. And then uh, Mike Gilgi, our bass player. You know, me and Mike have been playing together in bands since like 
gosh, the nineties. And, uh, we were doing like punk bands and, um, you know, weird stuff. And then the whole grave Huffer thing kind of came about. I'd kind of quit music after 2001 or so. And then, um, didn't start back until, well, we used to be called Crom, actually. <laughs> yeah. Crom. Yes. And so we, we changed the name because there were so many bands and projects called Crom. So we changed the name to Grave Huffer in 2012. But yeah, um, the drummer for Crom and for part of Grave Huffer, his name was Larry Deardorff, and he was in a band with Mike and I as well. So the three of us, we, we've been jamming, like I said, since the 90s. Uh, Larry ended up getting a job that was requiring him to do state travels and stuff. And, you know, he was just on the road all the time. So he just he just had to basically leave the band. And so we've been <laughs> off and on with drummers since that was like probably 2017, something like that, 2018. And we probably, I mean, we're like spinal tap at this point with drummers. <laughs> And so, <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous, but, uh, for right now we're, we're uh, rolling with this guy named Todd Morrison and he's a friend. He's a guy that Mike has known since way back early nineties. They used to be in a band together and Todd, he lives in like Colorado Springs, like, like 11 hours West. And right. so, so that kind of makes it difficult. But, um, if we, can get this whole scheduling thing down. I think we can make it work because he's a monster player. He's a really good drummer, and he he does vocals and plays in a bunch of other bands. Of you know that's what drummers do. They're in twenty million bands, but um, but yeah, he's probably the best drummer we've ever had. Um, but he's he, he's on this new record. Oh, well, half the new record. Um, we had this guy Luke who um, he'd never really played drums in a band before. But he, he majored in drumming in uh, the university here in Joplin, and um, which I coincidentally work at. But um, he'd never played in a band, and so he, he just played guitar and sang, and which is kind of what he prefers to do. But we did kind of, uh, I guess, I don't know, beg him <laughs> to uh, help <laughs> us out until we got Todd, basically. And so he plays on half the, of the new record as well. So kind of a weird way of doing it. But, I mean, the, I could talk all day about how this stuff came to be. Because <laughs> well, I feel like it's, it's just... Because you're, like, yeah. before Travis, who was doing yeah. the vocal work? You? Oh, James. James oh, Okay, Heiser. he was. Okay. Yeah, he, he, he sang on every album up until Necro Eclosion. Okay. But, I mean, he was even involved in that process. In a, I mean, so, like a... I'd say about thirty percent of the lyrics on Necro Eclosion were James's. You know, he he was like already involved in the in the writing, but he um, I don't know. He just like I guess he just his heart wasn't in it anymore. Or he felt like he was holding us back, and we're like, no, what the hell, you know? <laughs> we, it was just kind of weird, you know. And he's like, yeah. man, it just seemed like you guys were just moving much faster than I was, you know. And so I don't know. That's just kind of an interesting point because when we get to the new album, I've got some interesting takes on that. So, okay, <laughs> an interesting point that he makes. Um, yeah. Jumping back to the festival real quick. Yeah, there's been a lot of backlash from the locals about <laughs> the satanic panic that right. is going to come with us. Yeah. Um, as a band, do you guys feel like that is a concern for you, or do you kind of like take that as 
uh, a challenge to say, hey, you know, we're not really what you're trying to make us look like we or perceive us to be. Right. Yeah. Um, that's been very interesting because for where we live, it's a very Christian or um, community here. You know, there's a church on every other corner. Right. And, you know, I mean, it's it's the Bible Belt. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's that's just what it's been called. There's been people that have complained, "Why are you? Why is it called the Bible? It's not the Bible Belt." I'm like, it's just kind of a. It's not really doesn't mean anything. It just means that's a, that that's just the it's the dominant uh, religion in this part of the country is Christianity. Yeah. You know, there are other religions out there, people, but <laughs> so you know, the Southern Baptist is in particular is or, or is a big thing here. And um, I forgot where I was going with this. Oh, um, <laughs> the satanic panic thing. I remember that, you know, like all of us in the band are like in our late forties, early fifties, you know, we're all of, of an age where we remember the original satanic panic in the eighties, so, you yeah. know, exactly. So I remember having to explain to my mom Slayer lyrics or whatever, and, and tell her that like, not every musician writes autobiographical music. You know, it's it's like just think of it as a, like our bass player had this conversation with his mom. He said, "Mom, think of it as a scary movie. You like scary movies, right?" She goes, "Oh yeah, I love them." Well, think of this as just scary music to yeah. the scary movie. It's just it's scary music to fit with these scary lyrics. Like when you watch a scary movie, you don't hear all those major chords and all this while people are getting killed. I mean, maybe. Um, in an ironic way or something. Unless you're but, a morbid director that just wants to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, like your clockwork orange maybe, but you know. Right. Uh which that's a different deal. But but no, it's it's typically a more sinister sound. And so that's basically what, you know, these bands have done is try to capture that in the music. And it's nothing to do with I mean, well, there there's probably a little sliver of bands out there that do take that stuff kind of a little too far. But for the majority, the very vast majority, it's just, it's music with a story and, you know, it's fantasy, escapism, whatever you want to call it. Or it's thinking about real life, like war and stuff, you know, and, and it's just, it could be more like, you know, you know, like Iron Maiden does about history. Not all history is roses, you know, there's bad stuff that happened. Yeah, you know, it's funny because growing up, I didn't always pay attention to lyrics. Uh, yeah. A lot of times it was to feel the, the, the music. And even so now, like, if I listen to black metal, I really have no, I don't get drawn to the ideology of it all. I just kind of really right. like what it creates. But I remember exactly going back in some time and listening to the lyrics to Run to the Hills. I'm like, holy shit, these are fucking dark as shit. Yeah. Native Americans and stuff. And I'm like, God right. dang. Yeah. So they were telling a story that really... You know, most people were kind of looking at it like, oh, it's just noise, but it's not. Right. Telling about history, and it was really kind exactly. of interesting. So. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that that's kind of where the whole satanic panic thing kind of started. And you had the PMRC and the Tipper Gore coming and saying, oh, this music is causing this. And they had that, that I don't know if you remember, the Filthy 15. It was a list of 15 songs, of like Judas Priest and, you know, all these bands were on there, Twisted Sister and... Uh, you know, you had D. Snyder and Frank Zappa yeah. going to Senate to like fight for our, you know, freedoms to um, not have the government, you know, First Amendment rights, and and um, so yeah, it was. Uh, I remember when the original Satanic Panic happened, and 
And this, you know, it did kind of remind me of that when you had people threatening to shut the fest down, threatening to pull the plug on the fest and threatening to, uh, pro not, not even protest, but like, you know, like pull the plug on it or, you know, block people from coming in and like be just very disrespectful about it. And, um, but then you also had people that were like, well, who cares about the music? It's going to bring a lot of, you know, money and economy to this area. And, right. and, uh, you know, and there's, it's a different spin on it, you know, and there was one guy that said, what was it? He said something like, Oh, I, I used to be into this stuff. And I, from what I've heard, some of these plays, some of these bands, you have to perform a satanic ritual before they'll even let you in the, you know, like, I have never heard of this. Yeah, like, they playing, were like 12 yeah, I mean, and they didn't know what they were doing. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, oh my gosh. And so some of the stuff was just ludicrous. It was just, I could not believe what these people were saying. It's just, it's just ignorance is all it is. They're just not educated on what, what it is. And it, they're just kind of speaking out of their ass, really. And, <clears throat> We actually had a satanic panic incident, I guess, here in a town called Carl Junction. That's uh, it's probably 15, 20 minutes from where I live. And there was these three kids that were in this high school where my actual, where my cousins went to high school. They knew these kids, and these three kids took this other kid that they picked on and bullied, and they took him out in the middle of the woods and just beat him with ball bats until he died and mm. then threw him down a well. And then everybody was blaming the music. Not the not that, that they were fucked up on drugs and had mental issues. Yeah. Um, it, it but, takes, the music has very little to do with that. I mean, sure. Right. These guys probably were trying to find other outlets. I mean, exactly. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure of that. Always my outlet for my anger and my depression. But for mm -hmm. some people, they just go far off the deep end. Right. In that case. Right. Yeah. It's like there's a lot more going on there. Right. And um, so, you know, they end up actually all those guys are out of prison now. <laughs> they, well, they were minors when it happened. So. Yeah. The last one just got released here a couple weeks ago. Wow. Well, so hopefully uh, better than they were when they went in. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, let's let's hope. Let's hope. Now, I know the band, because uh, you said you've been around for a while with this project since like yeah. 2012 or whatever. Yeah. You have a very thrashy, punk sludge and kind of extent, uh, a little bit of a death vibe about it. Uh -huh. What influences does the band incorporate into your music? Like, what do you guys are influenced by? um man <laughs> there's there's so many um it it's weird it usually depends on the person like for me i'm probably influenced the most by the the death metal and stuff like that and the thrash um and mike our bass player he's more of it he's more into the the punk side of things and yeah. the hardcore punk and the crust and all that stuff and um but he's also into like black metal and stuff like that and, and and some of the thrash um and all the different <laughs> drummers we've had is kind of like a combination of the two right uh you know todd the guy we're jamming with now he's probably more he's probably more of a death metal guy he's probably a little bit more to my side of things than mike's but but no he likes a lot of punk rock too so 
uh, as far as specific bands and, and Grave Huffer, like Mormon Angel's a big one. Um, Napalm Death, Brutal Truth, they're, you know, that kind of thing. Um, as far as punk rock, you I would probably... Oh, go- What's that? So it was so interesting you said Napalm Death, because I'm going to get to some of that later. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, like, Napalm Death's a really big one. That's that's one that all of us are really into. Um see who else um more of the punk side of things like black flag and um which we obviously did a tribute to them on the your fault record on the back right and uh, you know um uh, like old suicidal tendencies uh, you know yeah. old corrosion and conformity and um there was a band called nausea that mike's really into we all like them too but um uh, and then even stuff like Godflesh, you know, like just really weird, like minimal stuff, like minimalist, I guess. Um, I mean, I could go on and on and on. Voivod's a big one. I mean, Voivod, the way that they just mash stuff together and play weird chords. and uh, Yeah, dude. Much sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, Carcass. I mean, gosh, it's a lot of that like 90s earache yeah. stuff. Yeah, you know, that's a that's a really big part of it. Well, I adored uh, Necroclosion a lot when you guys released it. I, I really thought that was like a a huge jump from where you'd come from, and yeah, there's like this progression with the band uh, as far as the direction. And it really impressed me a lot. What I love about Gravehuffer is your versatility with your your style and music, and I can tell already from the last record to this one. It, together there's like this a bit of a progression with the record as well yeah what was your motivation going into the new record in terms of the sound that you wanted to go in the, the upcoming record yes mm-hmm. um you know it's weird like we were listening to a lot of like like dark throne and stuff like that with longer songs and um just weird stuff and um i mean even progressive stuff like rush and yes and um which all of us have always listened to but we've never applied it to the grave offer you know we've never applied the prog thing much mm-hmm. i mean we necro closion's got some five and six minute songs but nothing like this new thing <laughs> so um yeah, the whole yeah one side of the album song thing, you know, that was definitely our kind of tip of the hat to Rush in twenty one twelve. You know, mm-hmm. we actually we had talked about wanting to do this for a long time. This is not really something that we just decided to like. Oh, hey, let's do this. We've been talking about it for quite a while, like even before Grave Huffer. We were we you know Mike and I kind of wanted to do something like that. Um, it's not really an indication of our sound moving forward. It's just something that we've always wanted to do. It's kind of a selfish thing, you know. So, I'm going to say something. Know, sorry, I mean, is this your is okay? This your project that you created initially, like just the band itself? Because you said you started out one way, is it like Crom, and then it evolved into Grave Huffer? Was this really kind of your brainchild? When, you know, initially, no. Uh, I, I, everybody always says without Mike or without me, it's not Grave Huffer. So I, I, it's pretty much Mike and I both kind of like coming together on these things. Um, as far as the music, um, 
Pardon me, mercy. Um, I got my beard. Probably doing the same oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, this whole um, twenty-two minute thing that we're doing. Um, yeah, that's something we had even talked about in the nineties with when we were doing the punk crust punk initial detonation stuff. And um, we, because even back then we were a weird punk band. You know, we weren't just your typical punk band. Everybody's like, you guys are like progressive punk and. And so we've had that prog tag thrown on us for a long time now. And I don't know if, if it's just, we finally just like say, okay, let's just do it then. <laughs> if people are going to call us that, let's well, really think, just go for it. You know? Yeah. I think that, uh, you know, when you mentioned like rush, like I think maybe it wasn't your intention to do it, but sometimes when you're, a fan of a particular style of music, uh, whatever genre, it kind of seeps into your writing. You don't, yeah. So that could be right. a reason why people are like, "Yeah, you're a bit prog here and this," and you're like, "Are we?" It's like you, you don't, even, <laughs> you know? Oh it's, yeah, yeah. That is kind of weird. It, it does like you don't even realize it. I think, and I, I think that, or at least I hope that that's a good sign of a sign of good natural writing and not like trying to rip stuff off you know we we've never really gone into anything saying we're going to play like this band or this band or this style we just pick up our instrument and whatever comes out comes out right um now the whole well i can i can say it it's about dante's uh, divine comedy we just can't reveal titles or anything yet but um the whole divine comedy thing <clears throat> that was something, like I said, we've been talking about that for a couple of years. Even when we were doing Necro Eclosion, it was brought up then. And um, we weren't going to do it then, but we we had been thinking about it for a long time. But we just, we weren't sure how to do it, if we could do it. And, you know, and I'm pretty sure Mike was the one that was like pushing for that particular subject even. So I just remember... Basically, we had <laughs> quote unquote homework, and um, we were all sitting at home just writing music on recording it on our phones. And I probably had sixty or eighty riffs and different ideas on my phone. And, well, I've still got them, and I listened to them the other day. And I'm like, wow, it's weird hearing how all this came into the, how it went to uh, be what it was. Right, but it's it's so bizarre. Uh, and so we put them all together and we think we were like, well, this sounds like Inferno. This sounds like paradise. This sounds like, well, purgatory kind of, that's another story, but, uh, that, that, that would actually did not go according to the initial plan, but we <laughs> changed our minds on that deal. Right. But, um, but in, Inferno was probably the easiest part to write and paradise was definitely the most difficult to write. It's like, you know, we're this metal punk band and we're going to write about heaven. Oh my God. You know? <laughs> and yeah, so yeah. it was, it was, you know, I mean, I'm not saying like, I'm not trying to be macho or anything. I'm just trying to, um, it was weird trying to write an extreme, uh, style of music that we're not that we're known for, but we just, we didn't want it to, we didn't want it to sound like happy. I guess right, right, because Dante is not happy. He's right. not happy this whole time. He's kind of confused and freaked out. And that's kind of the vibe we wanted to go 
with this whole thing. You know, he's never been to any of these different places and, you know, Virgil's guiding him along and he's just kind of like, what the hell is all this literally? <laughs> and, um, so we just wanted to take people on the journey and, um, you know, writing the music, we definitely had those things in mind. Like, okay, this is where he's here. This is where he's here. And, um, I mean, I've never written music specific like this before and so it was definitely a challenge but you know it was a lot of fun it was definitely a lot of fun um as far as the other side of the album that was more of uh like what necroclosion would progress to i guess you know it's more of our what we're naturally what we naturally do you know there wasn't really any specific game plan for that actually actually i take that back um <laughs> that kind of was <laughs> um, those are kind of like our each member of the band like wrote a solo song, and that was what that first side is. Which I mean, it still sounds like Grave Hopper, but I'm kind of wondering like what we're not going to tell who wrote what, but I'm kind of curious if people pick up on like, oh, that sounds like a Mike song, or that sounds like a Richie song, or that sounds like a Travis song, or whatever, you know. But but yeah, that was kind of the quote-unquote game plan for the the first half of it now the first half i'm assuming because like you sent me six tracks is that the entire record That's, the first half's the first five songs and then that last one's the second half. yeah that, yeah that's the by the uh runtime so correct yeah uh, okay so that makes total sense now you said yeah. some of the titles are the titles that are on there are those the ones you're going with or are going to change yes yeah those are the official titles okay well, I do want to break them all down. I want to talk a little bit about yeah. each song, if that's okay. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, let's start with Blueprint for an Early Grave. That was the uh -huh. other. Yes. Uh, I immediately can tell right away that this has the bit of the punk and hardcore vibe that you guys mm -hmm. are going for. Like, I totally feel it there. Yeah. Uh, can you kind of take me through it? Like, uh, at what part of your story does this uh, deal with and how you felt about the riffs and writing it? Well, um, that was the song that Travis brought in, and um, he um, he's kind of <laughs> he's always had these like really hard manual labor jobs, and it's just kind of his perspective of just like he's he's starting to get aware of now like he's been working himself to death all his life. And, you know, and, and like, this is kind of, that's kind of what it's about. Like, it's literally a blueprint for an early, early grave, you know, working for somebody that doesn't give a shit about you. And I mean, that, that's basically, that's basically what it boils down to. Um, that's actually a great title. Cause like, I, you know, yeah. <laughs> I that, you know, as society, you know, we, we often say, well, you know, America's great because we are, you know, a capitalist country where you can work to earn what you want and have. But at well, the same time, oh, yeah. we kind of work to die. We don't really work to live. We work to die. <laughs> so, Seriously. Like, I mean, worse yeah. For, uh, families because, like, you know, you need time to spend with your kids or your wife. or right. It's like if you're yep. spending, like, 10 to 12 hours a day working, you can't hardly do shit. Right. Exactly. And. At, at this point in my life, I've been working the same job for almost 10 years, and it's a, 
it's such a pud job. Like I, my stress level went from here down to way down here. And cause I used to work in retail management and I actually ran a grocery store for about 10 years and I thought I was going to like it, but you know, I guess I was like, Oh, I'm, I'm up for the challenge. And I was for a while. And then it was getting to the point where it was really starting to affect my family life and how I was treating my wife and kids. And, and I was stressed out and I'm, work was like coming home with me all the time. And, People were calling me from work to go back in, and you know, because I was on salary, and I, I just finally said, I've had enough, and yeah. you know, I started looking for another job, and the pay sucked initially, but <clears throat> I had a few other jobs before this one. <clears throat> Excuse me, I finally got this job, and like the benefits are fantastic. I only work four days a week during the summer. You know, I get three day weekends, and I never work weekends. Uh, eight to five. I mean, it's so easy. I, I print, I do printing for the university, which is kind of cool. Cause then I could do printing for the band and all kinds of, you know, I've, you know, I've, I've helped other people out and stuff too. Uh, like I printed the posters for the uh, Tennessee metal devastation fest. You know, I, I, I get, it's, I, it's a fun job really. Yeah. And it, <laughs> my work is so cool. They, I mean, I sit in front of a computer all day. Hell, half the time I'm on, social media and youtube <laughs> i mean i'm like you know waiting for jobs to come in you know but even when the job's going i can just do whatever and, you know also i got mail and stuff i gotta run too with, but it's like i've done it for so long that it's, I, I get it done so fast and it's so easy and my kids go to school there for free and you know my, i got an older my oldest son's going to college there and, and you know tuition's paid for and i mean it, it, it's great i'm and I got time to do band stuff and mm-hmm. like at my other jobs, you know, that I'd had to cancel shows for my job before and I've never had to do that since, you know? And so, so yeah, you know, I took that blueprint and threw it away and I've got a new one. Now. I like it a lot better, you know? <laughs> well, on the second track, Slayberry, uh, <laughs> we, we switched gears. It goes a little bit more into, at least so I can tell, like towards the end, it's a bit of a sludginess feel. Yeah. It's like the explosion of conformity you were mentioning earlier. Yeah, yeah, right. So tell me a little bit about that track. Well, Slayberry is a, a take on Andy Griffith, Mayberry. Oh, nice. <laughs> so basically, Andy, I don't know how much Andy Griffith show you, <clears throat> you've watched, but, I mean, the town of Mayberry is basically a bunch of idiots. I mean, oh, yeah. Andy, and it's like, <laughs> we're all we... I don't know how it came to be exactly, but we would be, sometimes we'd watch Andy Griffith and we'd be like, God, I don't see how Andy just doesn't go off and just wipe everybody out. And I don't know if it's Travis or Mike that said it, like that'd be a funny song. And so that's why it starts out with Andy Griffith goes, when this is over, I'm going to kill you. And then it has those two whistles (laughs) right into the theme, you know, (laughs) so So I kind of like, man, I'm kind of, we were like, I wonder if people are going to get that, you know, but, but yeah, it's basically about, you know, I don't know if we mentioned too many names or titles, but, um, yeah, it's basically about somebody going postal, I guess, (laughs) for for lack of a better term. Right. Uh, the third track, the cryptid and the iron bird, I, I 
totally mm-hmm. hate this song. And it was funny because when you mentioned Napalm Death and Carcass, I immediately heard that in this song. Nice. Uh, so I really, really like this song a lot. But again, uh, what, what is this song about and who's the driving force behind that one? Uh, this is uh, this is definitely a Mike song, and um, so yeah, he he pretty much uh, he didn't write the lyrics, but he came up with the subject matter, and it's basically about how if the government found Bigfoot and took him and decided to make him into like oh a cryptid, I guess you know, I mean, and you know, we've got this whole story. This thing's gonna go on for albums <laughs> so, right. so there's gonna be many many parts to this and uh, you know mike's got this big long story about it and uh travis is like dude i'm not gonna be able to get all this in one song <laughs> so because we're gonna have to like continue this and so um so yeah i mean the, the main riffs were his and um and then we just kind of put it together in the studio and started oh this needs this here this needs this there and like we honestly didn't think it was going to turn into this kind of like it's almost kind of proggy a little bit too there you know it's got all these different shifts and key changes and it's pretty cool it was a lot of fun to do that one um but yeah it's basically about the government taking bigfoot bigfoot escaping and he he goes to talk to his people and that's kind of the middle section and you can kind of hear him talking he's my brothers and sisters it's good to see you and blah 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 and and then it goes into like this. My favorite part's the whole last section where it kind of just rides out. I actually get to play a solo, and that was a lot of fun. And so, so yeah, that that song's probably one of my favorites. Yeah, uh, track four is actually my favorite of the entire record, uh, "Brainstorm," and really oh, wow. <laughs> to do with the acoustics in there. Like I thought that was such a nice touch. Oh, nice. Uh, and it's also kind of like, even though it's still part of that first half you were talking about, this is like sort of the tipping point for me in terms of like the different direction uh, the band goes in terms of like a little more progginess, I guess you would call it. Because uh, yeah. I kind of sense it going that direction on the last three tracks. So, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. What is this song about? I mean, I just, I, I'm really so fascinated by because it, it took me for a loop. I was listening to the first three. And then it got to this, and I'm like, ooh, they changed it up. I like this. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, that one, that that's mine. Um, well done. Well- and it's about, thank you, thank you. It's about mental issues. And um, this is the first time I've ever, well, I, I wrote the lyrics to Sights of the Sky. I, for, I always forget. But um, this is my second lyric for Grave Huffer. And, yeah, I'm pretty proud of it. Um, that song took on a very different form when we recorded it um, versus my original like demo or whatever. Like uh, the acoustic guitar wasn't even in there initially, and um, how the parts kind of come in and out. You know, it was just one like it was more. It was weird. I was thinking when I wrote it more like Godflesh, mm-hmm. but it really turned into something completely different. And um, you know, Travis's vocals are just. Uh, it's cool. They have Mike and Travis. They did some cool vocal production on that. Did the reverse reverb and everything. And uh, yeah, the acoustic guitar was. It didn't even come into play until we were like recording the song, or actually we were mixing the song, and and we were like, we hear this here, we hear this here, and that's how we do. It's so weird. Songs don't really take shape until they're like 
almost ready to like be done. Mm-hmm. And um, it's weird. We'll just we'll, we'll we all get together and listen to them and decide then if we're hearing different parts because we'll sit with it by ourselves for a while and then we'll all take it to the studio and like hey i'm there's something missing here or you know this needs to be taken out like brainstorm there was there was a section where it's just stripped down to acoustic guitar and then the electric guitars totally go away and they kind of fade in well that initially was not that way I can't remember who said, like, just why don't we just take the electric guitars out there? And it was so cool how that came together. It's definitely like a production or studio piece. Like, I don't know how we pull that off live. But, um, but yeah, that's the song where everybody was kind of worried a little bit. Like, are people going to think we're pussing out or whatever, you know? But uh, I think at this point... <laughs> I, th- I think at this point, everybody. Amazing song. Like, it's all good. Thanks, I love man. The thing. And it's like actually my favorite record. Like, I thought Necro Occlusion was going to be my favorite all time, but now we're going into this one. And I'm going to be buying nice. this right away, too. So, uh, I really love this record. <laughs> going into Thanks, man. your next track, Go Murder, Pray, and Die, we again go back a little bit more to the grindcore and punk stuff. But I actually yeah. was kind of intrigued because the bass line in there, and I think it's towards the end of the song, remind me a little bit of yeah. Anthrax's Got the Time, and I thought that was so cool. Yes. Right, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely, that's actually a cover. That's not a Grave Huffer song. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, a co- that's a cover of a song from one of Mike's bands before he was even, before I even met him. Uh, this band called Encrusted. And and Creston's original singer even sings on Go Murder, Pray, and Die. We got him to come to the studio and sing. He sings like the more hardcore shouty stuff. Right. And um, we, we, of course, it sounds different because we're playing them on seven strings now. And uh, so it's got a lot heavier sound. And um, Gosh, I'm trying to think who, what else. I don't think we really changed much else to it, but... Uh, the tuning's different, and then, you know, actually the same vocalist, same bass player as the original song. So it's kind of kind of weird, you know. Uh, but we have done that before. Uh, the, the album Your Fault has a song called Dead Peace, which was from Mike's band Squirm, which was right before I met him in Initial Detonation. Uh, that was a tribute to the drummer for that band. He had passed away eh, probably about a year before we recorded that. And that was our tribute our tribute to him, but but the go murder, pray and die thing. I don't know. We just thought it'd be fun to do. Um, we've been talking about doing it for a while, and uh, I had played that song in in the band with Mike, uh, Initial Detonation. Like we we'd play that song all the time, so I already knew the song. Uh, we just had to show it to the to Todd, our drummer, and Travis already knew the song too. Just from he would come and watch us play shows back at that back in the day, right? Um, so. You know, he was always in the audience. <laughs> so it, it's kind of weird how full 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 circle all this has come yeah. for, full for us. You know, like Travis and James are both like really they're like best friends, and um, we thought maybe it would be kind of awkward at first, but it actually it was it worked out so good with Travis stepping into James's shoes. But so yeah, the whole the whole go murder pray and die thing is just kind of a throwback to our roots, I guess. You know, yeah. more than any more than anything. Good stuff. Really, really Thanks, good. Thanks, man. Thank you.
So then it brings us to the final conclusion, which is the <laughs> much evil. And this, I'm like, I looked at the runtime, like, wow, they really changed this up. <laughs> at first, I thought when I was going to listen to it, I thought, well, look, it might be like four minutes of song, and then we're just kind of what a dead air till the end, and there's like some music. oh, like a hidden track kind of thing or something, right? But yeah. no, you guys uh, did like this whole thing, and uh, there's a lot that, that I unpacked here with this one. Right. Longest song on the record, so I'm assuming this was intentional because you mentioned the the Rush 2112 thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I noticed early on that there's like some strings or a cello going on in there. Is that something you guys did, or did you have a guest musician do that for you? We actually had a guest musician. She lives in L.A. Her name is Annie Brown, and I've actually known her ever since I was in high school, and. Um, she uh, tracked the cello for us. She did like four or five different passes and harmonies and stuff. And um, she went to an actual studio in LA and recorded it along to my metronome and my scratch guitar track. And and we like this stuff was very very well uh, thought out. Like we we had very specific parts for these. And um, and yeah, that was really really cool to have that. Like we've been wanting to have cello and horns and stuff like that. I mean, there there are some horns on Necro Eclosion, but I think with this out uh, song, we really tried to incorporate it a little bit more and a little bit more of a, a classical sense. But um, I don't know how familiar you are with the band called Neurosis. Oh yeah, but yep. yeah, that that was a pretty big influence for that intro, for sure. Yeah, it was a nice touch in there. I really really enjoyed that. I was like, hmm, that, that's a nice. I I, I kind of assumed that you probably brought someone in, so that's why I wanted. Yeah. To Right. Uh, the other thing about the record, and this is where, uh, or at least this particular song, um, again, we get back to some of the prog stuff because, like, it, it kind of goes through phases. Right. And uh, I hear a little bit of a band like Transat or Devin Townsend, but then even more. <laughs> yep. I don't know if you're familiar with Akrakaki, but it, I hear oh, something. Yeah. Here, yeah. So, uh, especially towards the end, like that. Yeah. So. Uh, tell me a little bit about what the process was for writing this song. Um, outside of the influence, obviously, from Rush and all that, like, what was your main purpose for this particular song? Well, you mentioned Devin Townsend, and man, he is a humongous influence of mine. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's probably, so. dude, yeah, I mean, he's probably like top five. Yeah. Like, I've, I've been into him ever since he was in Steve Vai's band. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and strapped a young lad all the way through all his stuff. And um, I actually met him. And we, uh, a friend of mine, we were in a band <laughs> called Satan's Ice Cream Truck, which is a hidden track on Heavy is a Heavy, Heavy is a Really Heavy Thing. We actually asked him in person if we could use that name, and he gave us his permission. And uh, that's how cool of a guy he is. And so we went, and we actually released a whole bunch of, uh, whoops. We actually released a whole bunch of like stuff on cassette tape and stuff, and it was silly. But um, anyway, yeah, the whole Devin Townsend thing—that's yeah, definitely a huge influence. Um, but th- this is—it's split into three sections. There's Inferno, there's Purgatory, and Paradise. For you know, it's Dante's Divine Comedy. That's mm-hmm. what it's based on. And, and the whole depart from so much evil—that's a line from the book. And uh, we just kind of thought that fit, like the whole thing really like that that's essentially what 
is he's wanting to do is depart from evil right. and um and so we, we just thought that that just kind of fit everything well but still tied it to the actual book um <coughs> pardon me and so it starts out you know with the cellos and then it goes into it's kind of slow and it starts to build and it starts to increase in, in the pace because he's going through he's being led through hell literally and um so it start, starts to go through there and it's funny like i never thought about it but i've had a, several people tell me it sounds like morbid angel and i'm like okay i could kind of see that especially toward the, the end where the solo crazy solos comes in yeah. and uh, i'm like yeah that's definitely a trey influence thing but <clears throat> we've got a few guests on on this last song um we have a friend, like the guy who played horns on Necro Eclosion also plays tuba and trumpet and trombone and French horn and all kinds of stuff. He plays on the intro. He plays it in Paradise. Um, gosh, I think that may be it, but um, do you know who uh, Massacre, the band Massacre? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Cam Lee from Massacre sings in, uh, in, in the first section of in, in Inferno when it starts to kind of really get fast. Yeah. He's like he's just spitting these really fast lines, and uh, like he harmonizes with himself, and he's basically playing Satan mm-hmm. in the right. Inferno section, which that was awesome. Like he said, uh, he was such a cool guy, a good sport about it, and he said he really had fun doing it. Um, there's a guitar solo in there by Current Murphy, who was in Annihilator and Nevermore. and uh, he makes my amps, and he's got a, a company called Custom Audio Mutation super nice guy and um he's starting to get back into music now but he, the solo he does like he's using the even tide harmonizer like what trey from morbid angel used and i'm like oh that's fun. when i got that back i was like dude that's amazing <laughs> i said i can tell i said i can totally tell what, what you were doing he goes yeah you told me to write something hellish that's all we told him i was like I was like dante and virgil are climbing down off of satan so just think that when you're playing the solo <laughs> he's like okay <laughs> so basically that was like what we were trying to do is we fucking read this italian poem you know it's forever long and um just to put that to music that that's basically what we were trying to do um so so yeah that first section's inferno i don't know um how how uh how much more you want to be to talk about that but well, the, the middle part, it sounds like there's a bit of a narration or a movie clip or something. What is that? Oh, Purgatory? Yeah, yeah there, there, yeah, there actually is a, a narrator because there's, he introduced his, it's the guy that does our artwork. His name's Eric Sweet. And he does the artwork for all the records. Mm-hmm. And um, we've known him ever since we were like teenagers, you know, like for a long, long time. <clears throat> Excuse me. And He'd, and it's actually uh, quotes from the book, and we got it from each section that it relates to. And but that the whole purgatory thing, it just wasn't working when we were writing for traditional like doomy. We're like, oh, it needs to be doomy and slow, and we just it just wasn't working. Like it's like, ah, oh, this isn't really working. And we thought, well, if you're in purgatory, I mean. There's there's just no rhyme or reason to it, you know. There's, it's just 
it just exists. You know, there's, <laughs> it's kind of, it's so hard to explain. And so we thought, well, let's just like not write music. Let's just have, there's just three notes that just keep repeating. And there's like probably a hundred tracks of like talking and screaming and just, um, Tommy Stewart's on it playing this weird bass and Dennis Reed, his drummer's playing all this percussion and it's all buried in there. And it's like an ear candy headphones kind of thing, you know? Yeah. And, um, and yeah, there's, there's just tons of tracks of this noisy guitar and I've I got a sit electric sitar. It's in the, dude, there's so much stuff in there. I mean, yeah. it's, it's like, if you listen to it on headphones, it'll like, you'll just pick out all this cool stuff. Like Mike had to mix all this stuff down into smaller tracks because it was like making his computer bog down. <laughs> it was like I'm not joking. There was just hundreds of tracks, and what we did was we, uh, I think it was, I can't remember how long ago it was. It seemed like it was over a year ago. We put out on social media for people to email us, text us, whatever your screams, just a blood curdling scream. And we had probably a hundred of these people screaming. And um, so we just like slapped them in there and just started moving them around. And uh, we had people sending screams from all over the world, like from Germany and the UK and all over North America and South America, Mexico and uh, Russia, I think, and just all over the place. Wow. And, um, and it, it was just unreal. And uh, Zach and his kid, <laughs> it was just it was so it was so cool. Like we had a ton of like radio DJ send screams, and um, I can, did you guys? I can't remember if you guys did or not. With the scream, no. Yeah, no. Okay, I couldn't. I couldn't remember. Like there was, we had a lot of radio DJ send stuff, but there was there's hundreds of them. There's just tons yeah. of them, and so that's kind of what we decided to go with, and. Um, there, it's weird because there are there is a melody that keeps repeating, and it, <laughs> Purgatory definitely took a weird like we've never done anything like that ever, and um, we weren't sure how that would be received or if people would even like it. But uh, when we played it for Tommy, the the label boss, he was like, "Oh wow, whoa, oh man!" And he's like, "He goes, yeah, can I listen on headphones?" You know, and he was just like really going off about it. He's, Tommy's, you know, he's older than us. He's in his sixties, and uh, he's like all about that old prog stuff. And it, he was like, "Man, I felt like I just listened to a death metal movie," you know. <laughs> and, yeah. so, and, and we're like, "Oh, thanks, man!" And like, because we were re pretty nervous about this whole thing, but, but yeah, Purgatory is definitely a an ear candy kind of thing. Like if like Pink Floyd on really bad mushrooms or something, you know, like a bad trip. <laughs> well, I, you know, Necroclosion was one of my favorites of that year. And this one yeah. released is going to be one of my favorites this year for sure. Like oh, I nice. really love this record. Cool. Um, when can people expect us to be released? Uh, gosh, probably early next year. I'm guessing, you know, I, I, yeah, twenty definitely twenty twenty three. I don't know exactly when, but um, yeah, it'll probably be somewhere around that time. Are you guys gonna I'm, put it on vinyl again or cassette or anything? Yes. Awesome. Yeah, it's already it's already in the queue to be pressed to vinyl. So, and we Tommy and us we 
we actually talked about the CD stuff today. We were like um, working on the artwork, like well, the layout and stuff, because the artwork's already done. But but yeah, the layout for it and everything, and that's kind of the not so fun part because then you're going back and forth with the manufacturer and stuff, and it's like, oh, right. oh, you know, but you know, it's just like non artistic crap. But it's it's just it's necessary, you know. But but yeah, it's gonna be pretty cool, man. Definitely gonna be cool. Yeah, you guys uh, did a really good job on this. You should be proud of the work here. Because, like, Thanks, I know man. some people may not uh, react to it the way you want, but for me, I, I, I got a feeling a lot of people are going to love it. I really do. Um, I, oh, cool. Yeah, because you're not really straying too far from the path. I mean, there's some different things you're doing, but I don't think it's not like you've got all Metallica or something. You know what I mean? So, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's what Tommy's Tommy said. He's like, you know, you may lose a few fans, but he goes, I think you're really going to gain more. Yeah. Than, yeah. You know, like, like I said, the last two records, you guys have really knocked it out of the park, you know, counting this one and Necro occlusion. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, -huh. it's like, uh, it's like a whole different world. Really. When I listen to some of the earlier stuff, which is still good, but, I think that you guys are starting to find your niche a little bit and your, your sound and where you want to go with it. Right. So I, yeah, I'd be happy with it, man. Like you guys, like <laughs> I, I must've listened to these songs like on repeat for the last three or four days. Like I, just, oh, wow. <laughs> I just really, really like it. And nice, man. It was always hard awesome. to sit there and try to put down notes and points of what I liked the most. Cause like, I like, Oh everything. yeah. Gotcha. So uh, tell people how they can find you on social media. Well, social media is we're pretty much on all the main ones. You know, Facebook, of course, it's just forward slash Grave Huffer. Uh, Instagram at Grave Huffer. Twitter at Grave Huffer. Uh, we're on TikTok now. I probably don't put as much content as I should up there, but I try to keep active. At, you know, as such on there, at least post. Um, what we're doing and stuff like that. That that's a platform I'm still not quite got a grip on yet. But yeah, Neko uh, my balls about Instagram all the time. She's like, you got to get on there and do more. Uh, I'm yeah, like, yeah. I got too much other shit going on. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's weird. Like, it's so hard to like devote one to one or whatever. Like, it, it's so hard to like because you, you get traction. It feels like I like. We get traction on probably Facebook more than anything else. And so, therefore, my time probably gets spent more there. Um, Instagram, ugh, it's like, I don't know. I just I can't seem to get the traction there. Twitter, uh, it's about the same as Instagram. Uh, and TikTok, it's kind of ebbs and flows. Like, sometimes we get some traction and sometimes we don't. But, uh, I mean, it's pretty much Facebook. And um, but it's always nice when you can kind of cross promote on all of those, right? Um, but we usually try to tell people to go to Bandcamp, and it's just gravehuffer.bandcamp.com, and that's where you can get all the music and the merchandise, and uh, we you know all, all show dates. We put the show dates up there, and uh, you know we even post updates to the <coughs> excuse me the Bandcamp community. And, you know, I'll, I'll post stuff there almost every day and it sends an email out to everybody that's on the mailing list. And personally, I think that's, that's my favorite way of communicating is, is through that. But because it's just, it's just more all inclusive. Um, 
Oh, YouTube, of course. Actually, we, we do pretty good on YouTube as well. Uh, I, I post videos and stuff there. Uh, sometimes we'll go live on Facebook at a show, and then I'll, I'll upload it to YouTube if the quality's good. Um, it's really been pretty good for bands. Like, that's usually pretty yeah. good for them now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm with CD Baby as far as our uh, digital stream- <laughs> streaming like monetization. And uh, YouTube's probably the one we get the most money from. <laughs> I mean, it's not much, but I mean, right? It's, it's least- not much at all, but <laughs> but it, it's probably YouTube more more than anybody else. And, I mean, Spotify, we're on Spotify too, but God, Spotify doesn't pay shit. But um, but yeah, Spotify has been doing a little bit better lately, and that that's nice because I don't promote it worth shit. <laughs> I just don't. <laughs> I should, but I just I don't. Well, for those of you who are watching this video, uh, this audio will be on our podcast uh, for next week for Metal Tavern Radio. Richie, thank you for doing this with me, man. It's been a joy. Thanks, man. It has it's been a blast, man. For a little bit. I want to talk to you before you go. Okay. But, uh, yeah, right. Going to kick this thing out, everyone. Thank you very much for watching, and be sure to check out Grave Huffer if you're going to the Metal Devastation Festival. They're worth it. I'm going to get my first chance to see them live. Yes. Meet Richie and gang. I'm so excited yes. about this. Me too. Again, folks, and we'll see you next time. Cheers. Again, many thanks to Richie Randall of Grave Huffer for doing the interview with me. It was a big pleasure and a lot of fun. Uh, fortunately, I could not make the festival. I really, really wanted to see him live and really, really wanted to meet him in person. But uh, I'll get another shot, I'm sure. Uh, he's been to Baltimore before for a show, so hopefully they make it out here again at some point. Or uh, I saw Crypt post something um, today because they just got back late last night from the festival and he said i guess they're going to do another one next year or something so uh hopefully i got maybe both neck and i can make it out there next year we'll see uh, how it goes but uh yeah so many thanks uh richie i appreciate everything that you did and uh the interview was great had a lot of fun with it looking forward to that record when it comes out uh, we're going to get to a couple blocks of music. I've got some Battle Sword, Images of Eden, Epoch of Unlight, and here's some brand new Denial of Death from Against PR.
Hello everybody, this is Mike from Blacksmith Legacy and you're listening to Metal Tavern Radio.
Hail Bullsers. No one would else be here to the thousand of black metal. Well, no one to be black metal of the thousand. And the interpreter of the comments from South Kill. You are in the company of DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Pattern Radio. The best place to be. Stay tuned with these legends. jump into our rock block today which always consists of all various rock styles a little bit of heavy metal and classic metal rock bands so get a little bit of everything got some nord provided by hardlight promotions some backfire flavian provided by against pr thamuz provided by grand sounds promotions brand new stuff from eden bridge and we're going to kick it off with some matricide provided by one-eyed toad here we go, talking to the walls.
Everybody, this is Mr. Joshua Gray, your live gameplay DJ, live weekday mornings, every day, but hump day, playing Mortal Kombat or other games occasionally and featuring a number of different artists. So come on by, grab your breakfast, and enjoy some fatalities. Mr. Joshua Gray on YouTube, Monday, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, 8 to noon to the moon. And you're listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Tavern Radio. Antia Navapolda, Veyusore Icarisos, standing still or silent, Vea Vertariana. Esse tumbo, oereme miniamet, ni indom white antie.
this is Roger from No Moss. And also Ben from No Moss. Hey, Henry over here from No Moss. You're listening to Metal Tavern Radio. Come get it. Get lit. Yeah, and John too. <laughs> to talk about about TV shows. So Rolling Stone has their top 100 TV shows of all time. And and their list really consists of a lot of different things, uh, which is fine. I mean, I tried to uh, make my top 50 uh, involve different things as well. The only difference is uh, Rolling Stone included stuff like cartoons, uh, stand-up shows, talk shows, which I don't understand like why you would include that. But, you know, I guess it's, since it's just TV, uh, that's something that they... They also didn't worry about how many seasons a show went. So sometimes some of their picks were like maybe one or two seasons. So uh, I actually approached my top 50 much differently than they did. Uh, so I'm not going to have any cartoon shows, no stand-up comedy shows, no talk shows... And as far as, like, the seasons, I'm picking uh, shows that have more than three or more seasons. So they have to have at least three or more seasons to uh, be included in my list. Now, uh, the other thing is, people are going to ask me by the end of this, like, well, why don't you have something like The Sopranos on there? Well, don't fret. I'm not saying Sopranos is a bad show. I just have not seen it. So I didn't include any shows that I've never actually sat and watched. Uh, Game of Thrones, stuff like that. I just, I saw like three episodes of Game of Thrones, but I can't really make a judgment on just that. It just, it didn't click with me. Uh, maybe someday I'll go back to it, but for now it's not in there. So I'm just including shows that I've actually watched a lot of and consistently. Um, and also for Neko, because she'll probably hear this, uh, there's shows in there that she, like, I won't even say they're, like, my favorite shows in terms of how much I'll watch them, but because I've watched them via through her, I do get some enjoyment out, and I do find them to be pretty good uh, in structure and acting and everything else that's involved. So, uh, on that level, uh, there's some in there that she may find surprising that I included. Uh, so... Let's get started with my number 50 through 40. And so what I have here is, the first one, of course, uh, is probably the most controversial of all of them, uh, is All in the Family. Uh, Mainly because at the time that it was running, uh, there were still a lot of racial uh, undertones. And while I never believed that the show intentionally trying to down uh look down upon people of color or anything else it was just a sign of the times that when the show was made and it was the brand of comedy that it was made uh but it's important for a lot of reasons because it did point out like times like a growth with the characters as well during that time uh something that it doesn't get a lot of credit for and uh today it's still like it's still a pretty funny show to me but you know call me a boomer or whatever i don't look at it as something that was trying to harm people of color but it was really risque for what it was and it was using race at times as part of the laughter so i can see why some people of color have a problem with it uh 49 is kind of like the reverse um 
it's the Jeffersons. And again, very funny show. Uh, only now you have black people being the focus and oftentimes cracking jokes about white people. Um, obviously, people will say it's not the same thing, but for me, uh, I think it's all about subjectiveness as well as objectivity as well as uh, living through those experiences. I've been uh, on the other end of racism before by black people. So uh, what you feel may be justified in your eyes and your experiences in life, I find justified in mine. Uh, not that one is uh, better than the other or vice versa. It's just how it is. But that show, uh, very funny. Uh, I enjoyed it a lot. There was a lot of, like, black shows back then in the 70s that I enjoyed a lot. Uh, sometimes they were very much characters of uh, the actors involved, so sometimes that could be a bad thing. But uh, for the most part, those shows were very entertaining uh, for what they were. Again, different time period. Uh, a lot of stuff that happened in those shows back then you don't get now because we've kind of grown up in that aspect and we've learned to be a little more sensitive about how we go about making a, a show or a movie. Uh, number 48. Uh, while not better than the movie that it was based upon, uh, What We Do in the Shadows is still very much a favorite of mine. Uh it started out a little slow because we're not dealing with the same actors from the movie. Uh, although one of the actors from the movie is the, the writer behind the show, of course. And uh, it, it's a lot of entertaining fun. It's, you know, obviously if you don't familiar with it, it's about some vampires who are living in the current day trying to coexist with humans. And it's very silly and, you know, but it, it's a lot of fun. 47, Criminal Minds. Yeah, when it comes to like criminal shows and like you know drama shows, uh, this is one of the ones that I really enjoy, especially within the last five six years. Uh, it stopped after twelve seasons. I will say that there was a couple of episodes in there where actress uh, Aubrey Plaza was playing uh, a female serial killer, and uh, she did a hell of a job. Like I really enjoyed that character. I was like that was. A lot different than what I had seen from her previously. Now, granted, she plays crazy pretty good anyway, but this was one of those things where, like, her crazy really worked uh, at a high level, and she was masterful at it. And I wish they had built upon that character a lot more than they did. Uh, but, you know, sometimes it's all about what she's doing in her own life as far as work and whatnot. Uh, number 46... The classic Star Trek show, William Shatner and Company, Leonard Nimoy. Uh, it's hard not to ever include this. This was one that certainly made uh, the list for Rolling Stones. A few other ones in there that did as well. Uh, yeah, it just it really kicked off the whole thing. The movies became a, a monster within themselves, and of course, my favorite was Rathacon, uh, which. The series itself had an episode dealing with Khan. That's how that's sort of based upon that. Number 45, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Sarah Michelle Geller taking on the role of Buffy, uh, fighting demons, vampires, werewolves, whatever. Show was a huge success. Um, Neko and I, we 
some years ago finished watching the last couple seasons. Uh, the, the thing is, though, like with Buffy, is that after season four, it started kind of going downhill, uh, you know, for a number of reasons. Uh, changes in actors who were involved, not so much with her character, but uh, just a lot of changes, like with Angel moving on to his own thing. And uh, you'd see him periodically, of course. But there were some great times with the guy that played Spike as well. But the last two seasons, especially the last season seven, I think Neko would agree with me, it was kind of rushed. Uh, so the conclusion to that just was very unfulfilling. But as a whole, the, the series is very good, strong. Uh, and the acting was really good as well. Uh, number 44, a show that I won't really remember much now, but back you know, in the 80s when I was younger, Cheers was one of those comedies that I enjoyed. Uh, you wouldn't think a, a show based upon a bar and people just talking smack and, and having fun is part of that, but yeah, I think you had uh, Ted Danson in there, and uh, I'm trying to remember if... Was Kirstie Alley part of that for a short while? I can't remember. There was another blonde in there. She was in the movie Caveman. I can't remember her name right offhand. But uh, the show was very, very enjoyable. So number 43 uh, is one that really not something I'd spent a whole lot of time with personally, but uh, my wife loves the shit out of his Gilmore Girls. And, uh, again, just a strong acting in it. It's, it is an enjoyable show if you're just getting hooked into it. That's just how it is with me. Uh, even now, she'll be watching random episodes, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember this, and this is pretty funny. And Or, you know, a, a particular character does something, and uh, even uh, James Gunn brother, Sean Gunn, appears in as consistently as an actor in this, so... Uh, you'll see some familiar faces. Um, it, overall, it's really, really good. It also has... I uh, can't remember the actor's name. I feel really bad, but he plays uh, Dean in this, but uh, Sam in the Supernatural show. So he plays opposite Dean in that one, so you'll know who I'm talking about. Uh, but Gilmore Girls is fun. You know, you uh, uh, Melissa McCarthy's in there. That's an earlier role for her before she went into the big screen stuff. Uh, so there, there's a lot of familiar faces, and it's a pretty good, pretty good comedy. 42 is Friends. Yep, I liked it. I can't can't say I hated it. Uh, it certainly became a platform a lot for a lot of those actors and actresses to go on and do movies after that. Some didn't do as well as others. Jennifer Aniston became probably the biggest one of it. Courtney Cox was really kind of the biggest name coming into it because she'd already done like Ace Ventura and had that like video with Bruce Springsteen in the late 80s. Uh, so she was already kind of a familiar face uh, going into Friends. So, But really, Aniston kind of blew up out of it. I mean, the guys and, and the other girls in there, you know, sort of still did movies and stuff, but not near the level as Aniston ever did. Uh, 41, people find this find this interesting. I love Lucy. Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz. Uh, I just, it's one of the few black and white shows that I enjoy. Like, when it comes to black and white, there's not many out there. Maybe Moonlighting, or, is it Moonlighting? Shit, I can't remember. I, I think it is Moonlighting, but, uh, there's two shows like Moonlighting. Anyway, but... 
Uh, I Love Lucy was really good. I, it, I really had a ball with that. I was really young, uh, like under 10 or around 10 and 12 when I was watching on TV as reruns and stuff. So uh, even now they have a couple of docs and shows about Lucille Ball and everything. I even saw, which is really cool, it was in the documentary on Amazon Prime, I think, where they had uh, talked about Lucille Ball and they honored her at some award show and it was like a very emotional moment uh, for her because, you know, some on some level she thought maybe people had kind of forgotten about her in some ways and when they honored her like that it was really a moving experience for her. So, that, and that's important for some people who, you know, were groundbreaking at the time that they were making these shows. Uh, we talk about Betty White all the time and what she did and so for Lucille Ball is the same kind of thing you know at this point in time being recognized for what you did many years before is, is pretty important to them at number 40 another one of uh, Neko's favorites is Sex in the City uh, I, I have my issue with this show just in terms of like you know female stupidity uh, I guess but uh it's characters, not so much the actresses, but just the characters. Uh, but it, it's always how these shows are. You know, it's uh, they do it on purpose to, to keep you engaged and whatnot. But really, Atkins good uh, behind the scenes. Uh, the, the girls don't really get along that much. At least uh, Kim Cattrall and uh, Sarah Jessica Parker, uh, which led to Cattrall just not moving on with the show, like when they brought it back. And uh, but. Cottrell's character uh, was Samantha was one of the favorites of in that show for me. I mean, I'm not gonna spend all day watching it like my wife does, but uh, at times again when she's just kind of checking it out and looking through it, it, it's I still recognize episodes that I enjoy. And there's a lot of guest appearances that are fun, uh, so it's an enjoyable show. A lot of people argue about how much it holds up, you know, because this was like a late. 90s early 2000s show uh so now you know people look at it a little bit differently in terms of how they feel women should act or what they should be expecting you know because they again in this day and age women are far more independent uh there was still some independency with the characters in the show but you know a lot of it was based around relationship issues but that's kind of what the show was about Alright, breaking into the top 40, we have number 39, Orange is the New Black. Uh, I have not, honestly, not finished watching this. I've probably seen about four seasons of this. Uh, I know Neko's still kind of plowing through the rest of it, too. Uh, it's a very enjoyable show. Great acting, a lot of great drama. Uh, certainly... Uh, <laughs> There's a sense of realism, I guess, in how you would act if you were in prison. Uh, not even just from a violent standpoint, just how you're trying to get along with people. Uh, even in this sense, you find companionship of one way or the other, friendship, and uh, how abusive, like, even law enforcement and security can be in places like that. So, uh, it, it has a lot to say uh, on many levels uh, with all sorts of things, uh, transgenderism, uh, gay and lesbian, of course, and just relations in general with people and how even 
Uh, I forget the actress's name. Uh, it's was it Pentucky? I think is her name. Uh, the meth girl. Um, she is really good in this. Now I've read behind the scenes like she's dealt with alcoholism and stuff that you know hopefully she gets through uh, personally with that but uh, as far as portraying that character she nails it 100% really good number 38 The X-Files Gillian Anderson David Duchovny uh, great show always deals with the paranormal and alien stuff uh I don't think anybody really envisioned it to become the monster that it was years later, but they did kind of bring it back for a little bit. Uh, number 37, Moonlighting. This is not the one I was thinking of with uh, the black and white from the 60s or early 70s, but um, this had Bruce Willis and Sybil Shepard in it, I believe. And uh, it was an early role for Bruce Willis, really. And it was really actually a very entertaining uh, show. And comedy. Uh, it was soon after this that Bruce went and did a movie called uh, Blind Date with uh, Kim Basinger. And I, I want to show Nickel this movie Sunday because it's goddamn hilarious. It also had, um, fuck me, what's that dude's name? He's, he's from Night Court. He played one of the lawyers. Uh, but he's he's great in this as well so if you've never seen blind date with bruce willis you you have to check it out but moonlighting also if you ever get a chance to check the series out it's a lot of fun I, i'm assuming it's probably a little bit dated now but uh at the time it was a really good show to watch 36 is tj hooker more william shatner of course also had the lovely heather locklear in there and uh Shatner plays uh, obviously a cop and you know the show was just a lot of action not quite the action that like Walker Texas Ranger where Chuck Norris was but uh, still very good uh, it's a show I watched consistently back when I was young uh, 35 is Silk Stockings not many people will really know much about this show um, but they basically you have two cops, uh, Sergeant Rita, Lan Lita, uh, Rita Lee Lance and Chris Rolenzo, played by Rob Estes and Mitzi Capture, and they basically just solve crimes. Uh, so they chase criminals around and killers and stuff. So uh, it, it's really kind of an underrated show. Uh, the, the title of it makes it sound like it's probably a bit sexier than it really is. Like, it's some sort of, like, uh, you know, skin flicks or something, but it's not that. It, it, even though it does have some beautiful women actresses and stuff in it, uh, the reality is is that it's actually very good, just a detective show, and I enjoyed the shit out of it. 34, the classic Charlie's Angels. Yes, yes, there's probably not much I need to say with the next couple here. Uh, 33 is Chuck, Missy and I, and Echo and I. We uh, loved the shit out of that show uh, up until the last season, which was really a disappointment. Again, I think at the time when they were finishing Chuck, they was just kind of rushing it to get it done. Um, I don't know if it was a problem with the actors and actresses kind of wanting to move on real fast, so they were just trying to get it done. Uh, but the conclusion of Chuck just was very unfulfilling. But really, those first four or five seasons were amazing and just hilarious. Uh, having a guy that works at, like, you know, 
basically the computer squad, geek squad, and a, a buy more, and who ends up becoming like a super duper spy, uh, is just hilarious. Like, it's just so good. Uh, so if you haven't seen that, check it out. 32 Dexter, again, people should know this one pretty easily. It's a very popular one. Just came back. Have not seen the new stuff, so I have no idea how good or bad it is. Uh, but the Dexter, I don't think I even finished uh, quite the last season of Dexter. I got around seasons five and six, and I kind of got burned out. It was starting to kind of teeter off. I think I did see the final episode between Dexter and her sister, so I think I do have that kind of conclusion to that. Um, number 31 is True Blood, uh, one that I also didn't quite finish. I got to around four or five of that seasons before I stopped. Uh, really no particular reason is that at the time it was HBO, and I probably could go back on HBO Max. I think they probably would have the rest of it in there and just finish it up, but, uh, yeah, because when you're buying cable and paying for cable, you don't always have the movie channels, you know, all the time, so, like, when you have to cut costs, that's usually what happens, and that, I think that's pretty much happened to us. It's like we were, we were in a point where had to uh, just cut some costs and make it be able to afford it and Dexter was still, or uh, True Blood was still going at the time so that's probably why that ended up stopping uh, now we're going to 30 through 21 number 30 is The Closer and love that show cop show, investigative uh, had to forgive me for getting the main woman's name who's the the, the top dog in it but she's married to Kevin Bacon uh, so you'll probably guess exactly who she is <laughs> if you know who I'm talking about uh, she's appeared in some movies too but uh, this show was really really good it actually had a spinoff years later uh, but I really enjoyed that show a lot 29 Tales from the Dark Side uh, anthology series that dealt with uh, scary horror stories was a movie in the late 80s but which was good too, but the series was always a lot of fun, and uh, it always creeped that the intro music always creeped me out, especially as a kid. Like I was always like, I was like muted it before the show even started just because the, the music itself just terrified the shit out of me. Uh, it just had that effect. So whoever came up with that idea for the theme music nailed it. <laughs> Twenty eight, uh, another Neko. Uh, pick is Park, uh, Parks and Recreation and uh, the show stars uh, Amy Poehler Nick Offerman, Aubrey Plaza Aziz Ansari uh, Rashida Jones, Chris Pratt you know Chris Pratt of course went on to be uh, in the Guardians of the Galaxy stuff and as among a bunch of other movies now Adam Scott he's a guy that showed up in Step Brothers with Will Ferrell and uh that was a great fucking comedy. Adam Scott's got a good eye for uh, comedy himself. And Rob Lowe even has a character in there as well. So it was pretty star-packed and very funny. Um, just a lot of crazy shit that goes on. Uh, then we got The Office at number 27. Uh, I put the U.S. version. Neko, uh, where we both kind of like both versions, both U.K. and U.S. U.K. obviously was the first one to do it. Uh, but the U.S. one is kind of the one we lean to the most. Uh, just a lot of great actors in that uh, that come and go, as well as uh, 
are there consistently with the show. Uh, yeah, so just a lot of fun. It's all, of course, uh, built about the office where they work in Scranton, Ohio, and uh, I think they're paper companies. I think that's what they actually are, but uh, just a lot of crazy nuts, you know, with the, the manager and all the stuff that the shenanigans that goes on. Pretty sure a lot of people are familiar with that show. Uh, 26, Sex Education. You will find this on Netflix. It has about three or four seasons now. Uh, the most really notable name is uh, Gillian Anderson from X-Files. She plays a sex therapist, and her son currently is attending high school, where he ends up becoming like an advisor to other students around him for sexual issues. Like, it's a, you know kids are into sex and it doesn't matter if they're gay or or straight or whatever he starts making money by giving advice sex advice and uh it leads to problems of course with the school itself and then his mom gillian anderson's character is you know she's single but she dates and she likes free sex like you know in terms of she's a very sexual woman but it kind of puts off her, her son a bit because he's like, Ma, I don't want to see or hear about this shit, you know? And she tries to actually advise him and, you know, be the good mom, but, like, it's very uncomfortable for him to talk about sex with his mom. So, it, it's really crazy. But it's a lot of fun. Uh, a lot of great stuff and going on in there with that. Uh, then I have, at number 25, The Pretender. And, um... This show is great. Uh, stars Michael T. Weiss as Jared. Andrea Parker as Miss Parker. Catherine Parker. Really the two main characters. Uh, Andrea Parker and Ez is like drop dead gorgeous. And she's kind of like a badass. So she's continually hunting down Jared. Uh, Jared is sort of what the pretender is. That he can impersonate uh, anybody he wants to. So it's not so much about looks. It's about a character that he can create. So if he wants to be, like, you know, a security guard, he can do that. Or if he wants to be a bartender, he can do that. Or if he wants to be uh, a senator, he can do, you know, he just finds ways to kind of fit in while he's evading being captured uh, by what is called center. And that's where he was basically raised as a kid. And he's learned all these traits from the guy that he was uh, overlooking and watching over. Uh, I forget his name, um... Uh, Sydney, I think, was the character's name. But, uh, it has its fair share of funny moments. Uh, one, I can't remember the actor's name. I just realized Jeff, Jeff, Jeffrey Donovan was in this at some point, so he's going to be coming up later. Uh, it might be John Grise as Bruce. I can't remember, but he's not the, like, most attractive dude, right? So, there's an episode I was watching, and, like, it starts out, he comes out of the bathroom in this hotel, and, uh, Miss Parker's there, and she's way too hot for this dude, but they're kind of, like, chatting up like they're in love and having sex, and then they go have sex again, and they'll shower again, and then, and then all of a sudden, he wakes up, and he's, like, handcuffed to a chair, because Miss Parker put him there, and there was, it was just a dream, but it, like, the whole episode was about his attraction and infatuation with Miss Parker. So it was just kind of a cute thing to see. 
uh, fun episode, but the it's really really good and underrated. Not many not many people talk about it too much. Uh, number twenty four. Uh, a lot of people might remember this one. Uh, Miami Vice, Crockett and Tubbs, pair of detectives in Miami who go and they uh, search out and hunt down crimes and criminals, and they use it in like a speedy car, usually Ferraris and stuff that they run around in in Miami, but. Uh, Don Johnson, of course, uh, the main actor in that, uh, the heartthrob of many women at the time. Uh, just a really, really good show. Number 23, The Hitchhiker. Again, this is another, like, kind of, like, anthology thing, almost like Tales from the Dark Side or Monsters, which didn't make my list. But The Hitchhiker was just basically, you had this guy who hitchhiked across, you know, I don't know if it was just America or the world, but as he would hitchhike, you know, he'd be telling stories and things would be happening. And it's just really kind of interesting how uh, the stories were kind of scary. So, again, there was, like, you know, a lot of craziness with this show. But, again, it's something that you don't hear much about. So it's called The Hitchhiker. So if you ever get to check it out, check it out. 22, Kit, Knight Rider. Yeah, David Hasselhoff. Got to have it in there, right? Missy and I always uh, make the quotes about one man. You know, so it's always fun uh, to crack jokes with Knight Rider being the basis of that. Uh, it is basically just a guy who, you know, becomes like a, he's sort of like a detective, but he's been gifted this car that can talk to him, and it's a Trans Am that has like almost like a Cylon type red thing that goes across the front of it. And uh, it's called Kit, and it talks to him, and they work together to solve crimes and rescue people and shit. So they did do Night Rider 2000, where they changed it over to a Mustang, I think. And I think I maybe saw one episode of that, and it just wasn't the same vibe or feel. I think it failed eventually, but uh, that's the tough thing when you try to reboot stuff. If it doesn't have the same kind kind of appeal uh, that people are used to, then. Number 21, not something too many people would know except for if you saw the really bad movie with Will Ferrell called Land of the Lost where they have a family somehow uh, stuck back in prehistoric times and they're evading dinosaurs and other creatures like aliens and stuff uh, during that time. And But the TV show was a lot of fucking fun. I had a blast with that TV show all the time and I loved the dinosaurs. They... There's an all source they called Alley, and I can't remember what they called the uh, T Rex. I think it was Grumpy. I think they called him Grumpy, but the but it was stop animated uh, stop motion critters. So I, I I have to go back and see if Ray Harryhausen had anything to do with that. I'm not sure if he did or not, but it was very much in that same vein. So I wouldn't be surprised if Ray had a hand in that. Number twenty. Sliders, yeah. Both Nick and I are big fans of this show. Uh, Jerry O'Connor, Connell, excuse me, John Rice Davies, Carrie War, Sabrina Lloyd. Uh, in fact, I think Carrie War came around two years later. So, so if there was one girl they had that was like one of the main ones of the show, and then she got written off or left. And then that left the uh, opening for Carrie Word who came, and she was really good in that. I liked that actress a lot, too. She did a lot of nice movies and stuff. 
Uh, in fact, if you ever get a chance to check out the movie Hit and Run with Kerry Warrior, you'll be pleasantly surprised about some of the good you get to see in that. Uh, basically, it's just about a show about a guy who ends up creating a, a basically a time machine. And they go, ends up hooking up with a couple other people as they go through time trying to get back to their home. But they keep getting sent to other places and having, it's almost like Quantum Leap in a sense, but uh, a little bit better made, I think, aside from the original Quantum Leap. The Quantum Leap, original Quantum Leap basically had the main guy jumping into characters. This isn't what they're doing. They're actually appearing as themselves in other places and then trying to blend in or you know, make their way back to a, what they call a slide where they have to meet at a certain point so they can get to the next place trying to get home. Number 19, The Golden Girls. Yeah. I uh, really love this show a lot. Uh, I mentioned Betty White. She's a big part of that. Um, yeah, yeah, like a foursome of old women who just went through life and comedy bits trying to get along and well they were really good friends but they were always so goddamn funny and it's a show that you wouldn't think that I would enjoy that much because it's not really related to me especially at a young age but even now I think looking back it's it's a show that anybody can enjoy because it's just the humor is great and the closest thing I can kind of put to it is if you ever saw Grandma's Boy which is one of Neko and I's favorite movies the four older women in that movie reminds me a little bit of the Golden Girls because that's how they kind of act around one another. They're goofy, they're silly, and that's what these women are. Number 18, Black Mirror. Uh, this is an anthology series on Netflix. It's crazy as fuck. It's dark as fuck. It will make your mouth drop with some of the shit that it has going on. Uh, I really can't explain it as well without you just watching it. Like, I just tell you, just start from the first episode from season one. If that doesn't have you hooked, then you're not into it. But let me tell you, it's it's a fucking crazy one with a guy and a pig, okay? We'll just leave it at that. 17. Sanford and Son! Red Fox, baby! Yeah. Another one of those shows from the 70s that was, you know, black oriented with their cast and so goddamn funny dude uh you cannot not watch that and not laugh your ass off red fox is brilliant and i didn't even really get to catch a lot of red's like stand-up stuff when he was around back then i just knew him from this show and the way he was and the way he acted was just freaking hilarious and it's one of my favorite shows of all time it's so good uh I don't even know how many people can still watch it or if it's on reruns or anything. I'm sure it is. Number 16. This show spawned so many sideshows and spinoffs, it's unreal. Law and Order. But I stuck with the original because the original is the real deal. Certainly Special Victims Unit and Criminal Intent with uh, Vincent D'Onofrio are very good. Uh... Neko and I love a, a lot of these. I mean, but really that first one, I think... And I'm not even sure if it's still going. It might be. But I know that Law & Order itself is at least gone for 30 years. Like, at least close to that. It may be still going, but I know it's gone at least 30 years. That's crazy. That's 
basically where Supernatural is now because Supernatural's gone went for 22 seasons. They're done now, but that's so impressive for a series at all to go that long. Because Law and Order, believe it or not, started in the late 80s, I think. Or at least early 90s. And I'm not sure it's late 80s. Uh, almost positive that it's quite far back. But I know it's gone for well over 25 seasons. So it has to be close to 30. Number 15. A little bit of a new one here. Uh, Disney Plus, The Mandalorian. This is something that, you know... Going in, I've talked a little bit with Neko about it. I thought initially it was going to be more of the tie-in to Bobo Fett as the main character, but it's actually uh, Manny or, you know, the other, the Mandalorian's his own person. Boba Fett makes an appearance, of, of course. But then, of course, you have uh, Grogu, the young Yoda, baby Yoda, which really this first season of this uh, Mandalorian like kicked off the love for Baby Yoda, which became a huge thing. But the series itself is incredibly good. Uh, it stayed consistent with itself. It's not really losing any focus, and it's still it's not getting dry or anything. It's just very good. It's like three seasons so far. I think it's got a fourth one coming. Number fourteen, Burn Notice, starring Jeffrey Donovan and Bruce Campbell. And Gabrielle and War. Uh, I became a Jeffrey Donovan fan back in 2000. So Burn Notice probably kicked off around 2004 or 5, I think. So in 2000, though, uh, he did a movie called Blair Witch Book of Shadows. It was a sequel to the Blair Witch. And to me Blair Witch 2 is actually better than the first one that's just my personal opinion uh, mainly because of the cast like I really enjoyed the cast of uh, Blair Witch 2 uh, it's not your it's not going to blow you away as far as like plot wise but it's still pretty fucking good I, I found it pretty entertaining but Jeffrey Donovan's really good at this and Neko and I um, were watching a show probably about a year or two later that we fucking absolutely fell in love with, but it didn't last. It was called, uh, I think, Fear No Evil, maybe, or something of that effect. And Donovan was the lead in that. Also, uh, Vera, uh, Vera Farmigan, Farmiga was the co-star in that. So if you recognize her from King of the Monsters or Departed, she was the co-star of the Fear No Evil. I think that's pretty sure. I'm pretty sure what that show was called. That show, I don't think it even made it a season. I think it made a few episodes before they canceled it, uh, which was unfortunate. Um, it was another kind of like detective story, only Donovan's character, who had almost died, has like a sort of sixth sense about things, so he, he comes in a little weird and uh, quirky as he works with Farmer's character, but uh, I thought it was a, a really cool show and had like a lot of promise, and then they just did away with it. Anyway, fast forward uh, a few years later, Burn Notice comes out. Donovan plays uh, an agent that's been burned, uh, blacklisted basically. Uh, and he's trying to get his name back and get cleared of all this. So he does like special ops on the side. And he has, in order to actually get things done, uh, his ex girlfriend, who is Gabrielle Moore's character, helps him with like 
doing like she's a badass assassin basically <laughs> uh can shoot uh fight uh all the things she's gorgeous to look at uh bruce campbell nothing needs to be said there evil dead ash you know this guy he's funny as hell but he's got a great hold on this character uh sam in this show and so very enjoyable uh again you know we get to the last season who knows what happens when they write these things but Necker and i were like what you know it, it, it's just one of those things but if, if you really just want to enjoy like the first five seasons five six seasons that, that it went i can't remember how many it went all together but certainly the the early on it's a lot of great stuff in there number 13 I did not watch the last uh, season of this. I need to just to say that I did. Uh, one reason is uh, I've only been hesitant because it is without its first star, which is Kevin Spacey, uh, who got into legal troubles. And so they dropped him from this show, which the way they did it probably worked out best because of the way the season before ended. Um, it's House of Cards. And... You know, it's one of those shows that really kind of shocks you left and right. You didn't, some things you just don't expect happening. Spacey plays a politician who's working his way up the ladder to be president. Uh, his wife is very close and they both have their dark histories and uh, crazy shit happens, man, while he tries to maneuver his way into the presidency, which he eventually does. Uh, but it, doesn't, it comes with its own troubles. So... Uh, like I said, probably the first three or four seasons of that are very good. Uh, check it out for sure. I mean, the fifth season is probably good. His wife ends up taking over the presidency. I just haven't watched it yet to really give any input on that yet. But I've really loved the rest of it. Twelve. This is a show that Neko got me into. Uh, people are going to be like, man, that's either high or low. But for me, it's kind of high considering. Mad Men. Great show. Uh fucking love it <laughs> John Hamm uh, there's a lot of great familiar faces and as many that I saw appear in movies later on from the show uh, you have basically these guys in the 60s who are um, what do you call them uh, advertisers so basically they create advertisements and, and commercials for like brands and so they're basically fighting for clients and all this stuff. Uh, I can't remember the the, the great-looking redhead in this. Macy's going to kill me for forgetting because we watch another show that we enjoyed with her in it. But uh, she's in it. She's really great in it. Uh, strong character, as usual. It's a good show, though. Uh, it's... You know, obviously, it's because of the time period. It doesn't treat women the best, but, you know, you have to understand, again, the time period that they're, it's this all taking place, that was the reality of that time. So, uh, for people who are a little bit too sensitive to this, they probably wouldn't be able to handle the show because of that. But that's how the show is designed. Eleven. Uh, another series, unfortunately, I never got to finish yet, but I think it's gone like 12 or 13 seasons. I've got probably up to 7 or 8, I think. And that's uh, Hugh Laurie's House. He plays a doctor, very quirky, has his own methods. Uh, the funny thing about House, though, now when I kind of think about back to it, 
one thing while watching, and I'm like, you know, I'm watching him diagnose these people that he's working on to try to figure out what's going on with him. And, he, and a lot of times he's wrong. Uh, he'll say it's this, tell the people to give him this, and then the, the person starts, like, dying or getting really sick. So then he's, like, confused, and he has to go back and reevaluate to the point that he uh, figures out, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, I made a mistake, and it should have been this. It, but there's a lot of other drama involved with the the doctors around him and everything. He treats his staff kind of shitty at times, uh, like idiots, and so that brings drama. But the show itself is amazing. Uh, it's strong, strongly acted, well written. Uh, but it does make you think about real life doctors. Like we, I, I just when I went to. Uh, the vet the other day with the cat you know the woman actually admitted that she had made a misdiagnosis on another cat so people are going to say to me well what about miss kitty you think she fucked up and i'll say no because we had another doctor before her basically say what was going on with my cat's kidneys and i knew that that was already a problem uh so no i don't think she misdiagnosed that i, I mean i saw what was going on here at the house to know that my cat was not doing well but just tells you like with with uh physicians and doctors and vets and stuff that even they can get it wrong uh the funny thing about house though is it always seems to happen all the time I'm like dude come on you're gonna be better than this you're killing people almost in this show um let's get into our top 10 number 10 a show I still watch. Um, not near as passionate about it as I was maybe six or seven years ago because the, the cast changed so much. Is uh, NCIS, led by Mark Harmon, of course, uh, who recently left the last year, uh, last season. So I think it's gone 22 seasons itself. So NCIS has been running a long time. So basically, it's the Naval Command. Uh, I don't. I don't know how what the rest of it is but they're just basically naval police investigators and detectives who uh, investigate crimes of uh, naval personnel so if you have a navy officer that dies somewhere they're the ones that come and they take care of it and they investigate it and everything else uh, but you deal with stuff like terrorism and you know uh, just everyday like murders and stuff so a lot of cool episodes. Uh, the, the early ones are really the best when you get up to uh, probably I'd say I can't remember her full name but Coda, she played uh, one of the detectives and she left probably about seven or eight years ago uh, to do another do other stuff. Like she had kind of had enough NCIS. No, no, no real particular reason. No, She didn't have any anger towards it or anything but uh, she was one of my favorite characters along with the guy who played Dinozo and uh, he went to do the show Bull. So uh, once those characters left it kind of got a little lackluster for me. I still I just watched the last two episodes of this season uh, last night. So I still enjoy it to a degree. It's just not the same feel that I had early on even though I still have uh, one character who's left from the original crew. Uh, everybody else is new now. Harmon's not there anymore either. Uh, number nine, uh, Neko is kind of not kept up with this, not by choice, but, you know, sometimes she just can't keep up like I can with stuff. She's got other interests, of course. Uh, 
Number nine is Blacklist, starring James Spader, and uh, I've always loved this guy, even back when I was a kid, when he was doing all those movies, like Less Than Zero, Pretty in Pink, uh, Tough Turf. So, uh, him doing a lead in this show, where he plays like a spy who has all these secrets in his black book, uh, like criminals that he helps the FBI try to catch, even though he's the number one guy on the wanted list, so he's sort of blackmailing the FBI and a particular woman, uh, Agent Keene, who he has some ties to somehow, like we think maybe, even now we still think maybe he's the father of hers or not, but irregardless, he uses that relationship to get everybody to work for him, basically to get the things that he wants. And and, and now with uh, the new season coming up, Keene's a little bit more empowered because Keene now has... Uh, she's managed to wrangle the all the goods away from uh, from Spader's character, Reddington. So he's now trying to scramble to find ways to keep up with her because she's turning the tables on him. Number eight, Stranger Things. Can't say enough about it. Millie Bobby Brown and company. Uh, the minute this came out, Neko and I fell in love with it certainly has times that it might get a little bit repetitive or kind of lulls but like some people complained about this past season I, her and I loved it loved it uh, and a lot of that of course is Eddie Munson the character uh, it was a very impactful moment uh, for him in that uh, for the character we were kind of pissed but you know that's what shows do sometime and sometimes it can be the death of you the only, the only reason why it won't really affect me with Stranger Things is because Eddie wasn't like a long-lasting character. Uh, is it possible we could see Munson down the road because of how this show works? Possibly. Uh, not likely, but possibly. But, you know, if they killed off a main character, then you're really kind of hurting the show. And that happens with like stuff like, for me, for like Sons of Anarchy or uh, Lost, where I saw characters I really liked, killed off early or too early, and then I just lost interest. Like It's like, oh, well, I'm not really interested in shit anymore. Uh, so, so far, Stranger Things not really run into that problem. Number seven. This had that kind of happen towards the end, the last couple of seasons. It's called Suits, and it stars Gabriel Mack, Patrick J. Adams, Sarah Rafferty, and Meghan Markle, who you would know is married to uh, Prince, whoever the fuck he is in the UK. <laughs> you probably see her name a lot lately uh, regarding all that. But uh, she was a very good actress in this uh, series and a uh, pretty hot series, let me tell you. A lot of good sex scenes in that. Um, but basically, you've got Gabriel Mack playing Harvey Specter and Adams playing Mike Ross. Now, Mike Ross is like a super genius basically who has photographic memory and he can like look at a book read its contents and know exactly everything about it so he's running away from cops uh, because he got basically caught in between his girlfriend and the drug dealer carrying drugs or something so he ends up running into an interview process for where sarah rafferty who plays donna Paulson, is his secretary and she basically is doing interviews for an understudy for Harvey Specter. So when 
when Mike Ross comes in, he just starts blabbing about he's running from the cops, and she's thinking it's like some sort of joke, so she finds it humorous because they enjoy a sort of humor uh, at the legal office. So she nods her head to Spectre, and he interviews uh, Ross, and when Ross tells him he doesn't have any uh, law degree or anything like that, Harvey's like, well, I don't think I can use you because you got to have a law degree to actually be a lawyer. And uh, so Ross is basically like, look, look, just open up the law book, ask me any question, I'll tell you exactly what the answer is. And so that's what Spectre does. Ross answers, and Ross, or Spectre is very impressed by this and hires him, but they have to try to hide the fact that Mike Ross, while he's working for them, is not a legal lawyer. <laughs> and that's kind of the game that gets played throughout the entire series. Uh, Rick Hoffman, who plays Lewis Litt, is a partner at the same lawyer office that Spectre is, and that character is fucking amazing throughout the entire thing. And he, the, the, the shit that he has going on with the uh, fellow actress... Uh, Rachel Harris. Oh my God! If if for nothing more, watch the series for those two because the banter, sexual banter between both of them is fucking hilarious. I cannot stop laughing. In fact, one of my like like a my Broncos form with my fucking uh, my username underneath it, I have uh, Hammer Schlong as my fucking surname on there like that comes from the quote from this guy uh <laughs> so fucking great uh i even thinking about it, i just laugh uh, it's just too fucking funny i mean i'm telling you uh okay let's move on number six sherlock now i already enjoy the movies with robert downey jr but this is actually a show that was done in the uk with uh Benedict Cumberbatch and Martin Freeman and if you don't know those two guys it's your loss but Cumberbatch plays Sherlock Holmes as well as Freeman plays Watson and it, it all it, the episodes are actually kind of like I think the season like only four episodes but they're like an hour and a half long each so you're getting a lot of content with them uh, it only went for like four seasons but it's really fucking good. I don't know if they're ever going to come back to it. I don't think they are, but uh, I wish they would in some ways. But let me tell you, there's a, there's a one episode where Watson's getting married. And now, Cumberbatch playing Holmes, much like how Downey does, where they're kind of quirky and weird and they don't know how to really be socially acceptable around people. Cumberbatch mastered it. Like... He's the best man at uh, Watson's wedding. He's giving the best man speech. <clears throat> you can look it up on any YouTube or Vimeo uh, on the web, okay? It just look up best man speech from Sherlock Holmes and you'll find it. If you're not moved by that speech, like he starts out that speech by tearing everything down, like just insulting the shit out of everybody. And it's not even, like, on purpose. He just does it. And then he does a whole fucking 180 and has the entire place, like, crying and, and happy tears. Even Watson is, is moved by what he's saying because he's being honest about himself. But that best man speech is one of the best things I've ever seen on, in TV history. Like, it's just fucking amazing. 
Uh, I really love that scene. Love that show. It was like really fucking good. Uh, I know Neko agrees. Uh, number five. Vikings. Love this fucking uh, series. Obviously, again, it, so much of the series that I watch, when it gets down to the last couple of seasons, shit just falls apart for one reason or another. It's very unusual when an entire series can go that long, even if it's just seven seasons and still maintain the momentum. Problem for Vikings, of course, is you're basing everything off real history because it was a History Channel exclusive show. Uh, so it starred like Travis Fimmel and um, Catherine Winnick as Lagatha and had a lot of familiar faces in, familiar faces in there. Uh, but once uh, Ragnar, that was Travis Fimmel's character, Ragnar, Ragnar, Ragnar uh, Lothbrook dies like around season five or six. Spoilers, but it's been out a while, so don't shoot me. Uh, but once that happens, you kind of run into problems where like, well, damn, he's like really the best character that we've enjoyed in here. But I will say stick with it. Uh, you won't enjoy the last couple seasons as much, but Bjorn, the guy that plays his oldest son, carries the show very well. Plus, uh, his uh, other son, who is paraplegic, and I can't remember his name. Uh, fuck. Damn, what is his name? Yeah. Anyway, it's good. Like, trust me, it's really good uh, to the point that you'll still enjoy the last couple of seasons. But the entire series is amazing. Uh, and it has stuff in there that, you know, deaths that you don't expect see coming. Like, it's crazy. Uh, it was actually kind of gory for being a, a TV show. Uh, although I think they usually aired it at 10 at night when it was running on history. So it wasn't like kids can sit up and watch it, even though they probably did anyway. All right, we're getting in down to the top four here. Number four came out three years ago, The Boys, on Amazon Prime, all about uh, superheroes uh, gone bad, basically. Um, and I've talked about NECA with this when we do the reviews for this. Is like when we think about superhero movies, like when we think about Marvel and DC and stuff, we kind of say to ourselves, "Yeah, you know, it's great that you have these superheroes that could do all these things," but at the same time. Uh, in real life, we have to think about because they're almost somewhat human like us and they have their own faults and then add on the fact that they're gods, basically. They can do whatever the fuck they want. There's nothing humans can do to stop them. And the interesting thing about the show is and it's starting to unravel here in the last uh, last season or so where corporations are, are in charge of these superheroes. We They actually promote them. Uh, they advertise them like commodities. So they put them out there and they, these superheroes represent America and you know across the world and whatnot, but they do bad things and then just like government would do is try to hide this shit. Like it starts out the first season uh, uh a-Train, who's like one of the fastest men on the planet, like blows through one of our lead character's girlfriend at the time. Like, and I say blow through, it shows her like just erupting, like her body and blood just goes everywhere, spills on top of her boyfriend. But because it's happening so fast, Huey, our lead character, doesn't necessarily know what's happening. He just knows his girlfriend just blew up in front of him. But it was actually A-Train who was on some drugs 
uh, a super drug sped through her without paying attention or whatever it was and it killed her instantly so that starts this thing where Huey tags up with uh, Carl Urban who's another main character in her butcher Billy Butcher who's a great character by the way uh, who's hunting down soups as they call them to, to, to get revenge because he has his own axe to grind uh, with some other superheroes so it's a dark side of superheroism <laughs> Uh, I will say probably a, a show that will probably end up in this list as well, which is similar, is called Invincible, uh, which just started. I think it only has like one or two seasons right now, and but once it gets a little bit more going, as far as a couple more seasons, it may end up in this top 50 at some point. Number three, The Wire. Neko heard about this from a friend and other people. I knew nothing about it really other than her someone mention it. Uh, it's all about Baltimore. It went for about seven seasons, has a very strong cast. Uh, it's about police dealing with the inner city of uh, the drug issues and, and violent crime in Baltimore on the docks and everything else. Just a lot of great acting, and it just, again, it's very dark. It has some good moments, obviously, as far as, you know, brighter side of things, but ultimately it's just, it's very dark and it's very heavy so there's like you know just it's really real i guess you would put it that way and it's excellent series a lot of people talk it up with good reason number two just got into this the last year or so uh yellowstone on peacock apparently on november 12th new seasons coming to peacock i had to figure out if i'm gonna pay to you know pay to watch it like i don't know if it's gonna be released in one big swoop if it is i'll pay for it for like the month or whatever and watch it and you know just to get through it and then cancel again uh not that i hate peacock it's just that we've got so many things that we pay for right now that i don't want to be paying long for it um if it's done by like you know one week one week one week i'll just wait till it gets fully out there and then come back to it and pay for it then uh, it deals with Kevin Costner, who I heard recently is leaving the show. I uh, don't know why. Um, I did see he is in the new season coming up, so he's still there for that. So maybe after that he went there, or maybe they're going to stop it. I don't know, because they do have a prequel coming up, and then there's another one I think is coming up uh, to be a part of the It's like a spinoff, so... But Kevin Costner plays a rancher who is busy trying to save his ranch from bankruptcy and because the town that he lives in uh wants to a lot of the richer people around him want to take his land and, and build upon it like malls and shit and you know bring in more people for tourism and stuff but he's very old school the ranch has been around forever and his family his daughter i never really kind of gauge uh exactly like what her title is like she's i think she's like a financial analysis or an analyst or something but she's very very quick smart but very very uh very angry and very uh feisty uh her character is very well written in fact i know her name escapes me right now but she also plays the fiance to watson in the sherlock holmes movies with robert downey jr so you'll recognize her from that but in this show, dude, uh, beautiful ass, I have to say. Can't, cannot say beautiful ass, but 
her character is very strong. It's so much so that she's kind of like easy to hate too because she's just so unbearable at times, especially to her brother. Uh, Was it Jesse? Um, I think so. Uh, anyway, but they just end up battling between these rich uh, people who want to buy the land as well as the Native Americans who are trying to get it back. So. He has a son that's married to a Native American woman, so there's a tie-in there in terms of how they deal with this. And it's just a lot of cat and mouse, a lot of back and forth. You actually have uh, murders and stuff going on to cover up stuff. And like everybody's involved, not just this family, but uh, just all over the place. It's, it gets really crazy. Uh, but it's very good. It's really well written. I really like it a lot. It became one of my favorite shows. Uh, actually, I found out through my mechanic, <laughs> who has like this big ass board of uh, one of the characters in his office. So I just I laugh at it every time I see it. I'm like, oh my god. Number one, and this wasn't on the Rolling Stones top 100. Go fucking figure, dude. Started out on YouTube for about a season or two, and then Netflix bought it. It's now uh, done with season four, I think. Or five? Did we finish? I can't remember what, what season we're on, but just finished it. Cobra Kai, Ralph Macchio. Yes, yes. They made a show out of Karate Kid, and it's fucking amazing. Can't and it, the way they've done it? They got smart. You know, whatever it is between like what Marvel's doing and what now Cobra Kai is doing in terms of connecting things. So. Each season, we're seeing familiar faces from the movies of past show up, and it's a fucking amazing. Like what they have done, like even these last two seasons with Thomas uh, Ian Griffith coming back in, uh, is amazing. Like it, the writing's great. You got it's mainly surrounded by the younger kids that are involved, of course. But you know, we have our main characters of Johnny Lawrence and. Uh, Daniel Russo and it, it, it's working. It's very good. It's not losing any steam. Uh, the characters are all likable. Uh, even the ones that are villains, they're, they're still very likable and the show is just kicking a lot of ass. And there's nothing I can say that's bad about it. And I'm surprised that even Rolling Stone just didn't have it on there at all. Even if it wasn't at, even if it was at number 100. You know what I mean? But uh, this one just did not appear on it at all. In fact, I don't think maybe Stranger Things appeared. I can't remember, but I, I, I'm pretty sure it didn't. But either way, Cobra Kai is my number one. And that is my top 50 list, folks. Hope you enjoyed it. And we're going to get back into our music here because I know I kind of went on and on. But here is some Speed Cobra. Send me to the deaths.
what else will hear the thousand of black metal. Well, the one of me, black metal them thousand, and the interpreter of the comments from South You are in the company of DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Pattern Radio. The best place to be. Stay tuned with these legends. Brand new Algebra Constricted, closing out that last block. Now, the other day, uh, Mr. Jason Stefan of Pisectomy, uh, which I would say, if you heard some of the newer stuff he played, like a couple episodes ago, that he's created, uh, he's told me that he's probably thinking about changing the name to the band to something else, because actually the band has progressed from what it started as. So. But he was telling me, uh, if I checked out the show Cyberpunk on Netflix, it's a series on there, animated series, and I said I had not, and I, I know nothing about it except for that it was based off a game, a video game. But I never played the game, don't know anything about it, uh, but he highly recommended it, so I said, alright, well, let me uh, go check it out. And I started watching it, and was pleasantly surprised, like, again... Not too familiar with anything that's going on, but I enjoyed the shit out of it. I think it's like 10 episodes. And uh, it's violence, it's sexy, it's funny. Uh, I, I can say without a doubt the series did not end the way I hoped it would. Uh, but, you know, I give credit for stuff like that that kind of thinks out the bus, outside of the box. Like, you always kind of expect certain things in a certain way and if it doesn't uh it, it kind of leaves a mark on you in terms of like how much you really enjoy it I, I still enjoyed the shit out of this but again the way that it ended was uh not the way i had hoped but let me give you a breakdown of what this series is about in case you're like me and you were coming in blind so the gist of this is David Mar Martinez is a student at Arasaka Academy in the flashy yet corrupt night city who lives with his mother, Gloria. David doesn't care much for school and prefers to spend most of his time brain dancing, essentially viewing interactive footage akin to VR. So stop right there real quick. If you've ever seen the movie Strange Days with Ralph Fiennes, uh, it's much like that, like when they're taking memories and tapping into it uh, through these headset type things or glasses, uh, they're able to see certain things and feel certain things. So really at the beginning of this series, uh, David is actually doing this where he's watching this guy basically go to war with cops on the street. And he's what they call cyberpunk, so he's cybernetic. He's got like these, what you call uh, additions or implants of sorts like you literally some people in this show are replacing body parts with machinery so it, they're becoming they're becoming cybernetic in some ways strong uh they have weapons that pop out uh they're changing flesh for metal and stuff like that uh this is what this guy does now what it's it's kind of the same principle in a sense that um this guy who's killing these cops and going to war with them is kind of like uh, recording everything that's happening. You can see what's going on and as a viewer, 
at home, you would view this, but you would feel everything too. It's like that. It's like that close to. That's why I say it's like Strange Days. It's very similar to what's going on in that movie. Uh, with discontinued experiences from those with cyberpsychosis, a mental illness derived from the constant replacement of body parts with cybernetics. While David clashes with his fellow classmates, his mother works as a first responder with the medical trauma team division. When tragedy strikes, David comes into possession of a military-grade piece of cybernetic tech known as Santa Vista. He plans to use it to teach a set of bullies a lesson, but in the meantime, he's jobless, broken, without any future prospects. Life seems like it has no purpose for him in Night City, but he's going to take revenge on those who wronged him on the way to get to this lowly state, that's for sure. Um, and that's basically what he does. You know, he, he goes to a guy he knows who actually sends him these discs to view, and this guy knows how to put tech on people. So that's what he's doing. And it's not like a pleasant experience. Like, when he goes to put this military-grade stuff on, like, it fuses to, like, your spine and stuff. So, like, it's really not a pleasant thing. You can see the pain and agony on this kid's face when he's getting his done. He's only about 17 or 18, I guess, here. Um... Now, he also has, like, a bit of a crush on a woman that he sees occasionally named Lucy. He doesn't know who her name is, but he sees her occasionally, and you just has, like, eye candy. He really, like, likes her. Uh, but once he gets the, the, the gear on, he does go and teach his bullies a lesson, like, pretty hard, because his bullies actually had some cybernetic gear as well. Uh, just not crazy. But... The gear that David has is very strong. It makes him incredibly fast. Like he can, it's like Matrix style. He can dodge bullets and shit. Uh, and he gets the better of his bully and knocks his breaks his nose. But his bully is actually the son of a guy who runs like a cybernetics corporation or something, who is familiar with the tech that David's using. Um. So one day on the subway. David uh, is sitting there and he sees Lucy, the girl that he likes, and he notices that she's like pickpocketing chips out of people's necks. So, again, cybernetics plays a big thing with people. Sometimes it's at a minimal aspect. So, if you have like portholes on the side of your neck, which look like little places for mini discs, like small mini discs. Uh, it chances are you use it for visual like stimulation of sorts, whatever it is, porn, whatever. Uh, so she's going around and she's basically lifting these off of people. Uh, and she's fast too, so she's doing it while they don't even know. But he sees it because he can see how fast she's moving. And she tries to come and pick his, his neck and he catches her. And at that point they kind of develop like a working relationship as they get to know each other and it's kind of like a, a tough going at first uh, as she introduces him to the rest of her group or crew that she works for and you have uh, you know people like uh, Kiwi um, Pilar Dorio Ripper Doc, Falco, Faraday uh there's one particular girl, Rebecca, who's, like, very young. She probably looks about 10 to 12, I'm just guessing. But she kind of plays... 
an older version of herself. So basically, uh, there's just one scene with her trying to lift or steal this car from this particular dude that leads him to another guy. But they want to steal the car, so she's playing as a distraction, this Becca chick. Now, she comes up and she's kind of bumping into the guy that they need the distraction with. And it doesn't really show it, per se, but... And this guy's huge compared to her. She's like a little. She's literally a little kid. Like it's it's really kind of weird, but we I understand what they're doing with it. If you want to think of uh, the girl from Interview with a Vampire, the young one that uh, Kristen Dunst played, uh, it's similar in that fashion where you have a an older girl and a younger girl's body. It's similar to this. So she's making a distraction, and at first I didn't really catch it right away, but. As the guy's trying to get away from her, like, you know, just as far as, like, you know, hey, it's okay, I bumped into you, we're going to leave. But she grabs his junk, it looks like, and starts rubbing up on him. And he's like, oh, you know, kind of doing what he faces. Uh, and then kind of just, after a few minutes, leaves him to be. Like, I don't think he even blew a load or anything, but it was just so fucking weird to see that. Uh, I was just laughing my ass off at that, but... There are just crazy things. The violence is nuts. Um, it's a cool show. Like I said, though, at the end, it kind of leaves you thinking, well, some people might really enjoy the ending. I didn't quite care for it as much as I wanted to, uh, but I understood it. Like, there really was kind of an, uh, no point of no return there at a certain point, so I kind of saw it coming. But... Uh, it's very good. There's two versions. I, I don't know if the the original version's on Netflix. The version that I have is the English dub, which is fine with me. I have no problem. It didn't seem to have any issues with that. Uh, I still had subtitles on anyway, but um, yeah, it was really enjoyable. I enjoyed it a lot. It was pretty good. I don't know anything about the history of it. Uh, the games or anything, but uh, as far as the show, it was really cool to watch, so I highly recommend it. Cyberpunk. Alright, let's get into our last two blocks of music. Got some brand new stuff from Exiled, Infection Code, VHS, courtesy of Horror Pain. First, couple classic tunes from Adremelec, and then here's Cannibal Chorus was born in a casket. I guess we'll do a drum like first.
looks like the Cannibal Course track uh, is busted. So here's some VHS and then I'll get it, some other stuff in there from Church of Discuss for you.
is Isaac Golson.
Altars, a hypocrisy, exile there. Brand new stuff from them. As always, thank you very much for tuning in and checking out the podcast. Thank you for the support. Uh, thanks to Richie Randall of Gravehopper for the interview. And uh, that's really it. Not a whole lot more to go on. Uh, Neko should be back around the end of November. Uh, so I'll just keep giving you the music like I do and hope when she gets back we can get back to tag teaming this shit. And uh, yeah. So got one last track for you. Band called Creator, who you're all familiar with. This is called Betrayer. Take it easy. Have a great weekend. Peace out. Oh, this Thursday. What day is that? Let me uh, look at my calendar here. The 13th. Fat Samurai Guy. We're doing Versus. 9 p.m. Eastern. We're going to be doing Black Sunday versus Suspiria 1977. It's going to be a lot of fun. But here's Creator. I'll see you all later. Take care of yourselves. Be safe.